Hello and welcome to Media Made, the show in which we year by year explore the movies, music, and TV that most invaded our lives. I'm your host, Arc Trooper Rod, and I'm joined by Jess, as in Uno Dos Jess. There you go. <laughs> also a throwback to a different episode. <laughs> anyway, we're here talking about television. This is a television episode of our podcast. Television. If you if you're new to the show, here's what we do. Uh, we've looked at a list of every TV show released or debuting in the year 2003, mm-hmm. and we decided which one each of us had watched the most in our lives. Some of us, it was literally only one. Uh, yeah, yeah. The, Je- <laughs> Jess was not. She was watching TV, but she was watching a lot of old TV. I was watching a lot of anime this year, kids. Yeah, and, and we've <laughs> talked about all the anime that you were watching because. Yeah. It's like all this old anime finally reached the U.S. and yes. Adult Swim. It's much like Disney. Everything came out at the same time. <laughs> it was like Toonami just was airing, you know, anime that was 15 years old at this point. Mm-hmm. And that's what you were watching. Yep. You were watching television that debuted that year. Yeah, no, I was not. It's like, skip this TV. It's all war. Let's watch <laughs> Say Cried. <laughs> Scried. Well, that was new. That was relatively new. It was relatively new. Roroni Kenshin, yeah. Yu Yu Hakusho, Prince all, of Tennis. All that stuff was like just now reaching the States. Yeah. It's a good time. It's a good time to be alive. Well, <laughs> well. Eh. Well. It wasn't my age. It was decent. That's fair. At my age, I was watching anime and reading books. Which, honestly, if I could do that today, except make anime dramas that would be a good life <laughs> sounds like retirement oh beautiful kids help us retire anyway what are we talking about now we're talking about i guess we're going to talk about my show of 2003 okay debuting november 7th 2003 on cartoon network featuring the voice talents of matt lucas james arnold taylor tom kane and terrence carson developed by jendy tartakovsky and george lucas oh that is Star Wars, Clone Wars. No, not that one. <laughs> like fire across the galaxy, the Clone Wars spread. In league with the wicked Count Dooku, more and more planets slip. Against this threat, Upon the Jedi Knights falls the duty to lead the newly formed army of the Republic. And as the heat of war grows, so too grows the prowess of one most gifted student of the Force. Me. No. Okay. Well, young young Anakin. I remember him? Don't. I only remember me being the most gifted. Sir. Um, yeah, so this is Star Wars Clone Wars, not Star Wars The Clone Wars. They're different. Oh, it's is this is is this where Fast and Furious got their naming conventions? No, okay, like we just drop an and and it's a different thing. Star Wars Clone Wars is a Cartoon Network micro series. Mm-hmm. It two D traditionally animated. Mm-hmm. Um, it 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 is different from the three D animated full series called Star Wars: The Clone Wars. That I th- it might still be running. It's it like it, you know it it, uh, it transitions into the Disney era of, of Star Wars, right? And uh, that well, they got like what Rebels is like a, a sequel series to it. And, uh, the Bad Batch. The Bad Batch. Just, don't ask. Don't don't 
present these as questions. You know I don't know. <laughs> I, do, I honestly have never seen... Like, I've seen a few episodes of The Clone Wars. It's fine. But this show is my Clone Wars. Isn't there one with a Padawan learner that we follow? Yeah, Anakin gets a, an apprentice at some point, I think. And that's called Star Wars Apprentice Wars? I don't know. I don't know. Um, again, I, I don't know very much about The Clone Wars. I'm, I'm sure it's fine. I think it's ugly. <laughs> like, that 3D animation looks horrible to me. But, uh, no, we're talking about Star Wars Clone Wars, which is a very... It, it's called a micro-series because it was initially a series of 20 episodes, three minutes each. Mm-hmm. Tiny little bite-sized episodes that Cartoon Network would play between other shows. Right. And uh, I think this is our first time, other than like the Toonami stuff, this is the first time we're talking about a show that debuted on Cartoon Network. Yeah. We finally hit the the trinity of kids networks. <laughs> we have all come together. We've talked Disney Channel shows like what, Winnie the Pooh. I think is that, that Disney? Yeah. Oh, okay. Might have been the only one. Uh, Nickelodeon, we've talked a bunch about. Plenty. Obviously, this is a, a slime house. <laughs> But finally, we got to reach a Cartoon Network. Yeah. You know, which was like always my third favorite. Mm, always my number one, but that's because it had the anime. Um, it's interesting. Okay, so have you seen the show before? Had you seen it? No, though I do want to take a small like second time out to talk about how interesting it was like at this time period, the prevalence of like the micro series. Like because in my head, when I think micro, I think Mike Super Short Show. Or things like like that. I was like, why do we have them? Like, are I feel like this is what created our small intention span. Well, it's weird. Okay, well, with Disney Channel, so Mike Superstar Show was a Disney Channel interstitial. Mm-hmm. Disney did not air commercials for products on their network. They aired commercials for their products. That's true. Um, and I think they had more leeway to just run weird interstitials because they didn't have ad time they were trying to sell. Cartoon Network, it's odd that Cartoon Network... Mm-hmm aired this show the way it did. Yeah. 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 I mean, just yes. And we'll, we'll learn it. They aired it simultaneously on Cartoon Network, the, sh- the channel, and CartoonNetwork.com. Oh. This is one of our first streaming shows here. Hey. Or not even streaming. I'm sure you had to download it for quick, quick time. And I was whatever. like, we've reached the streaming era, no, guys. No, no. This is one of our first web series, sort of. Half That's it. pretty cool. Yeah. That's pretty cool. It gets an award when we do QQs. <laughs> Anyway, um, no, I did not. I feel like the times that these things were on, I, you know, to be honest, I'm pretty sure in this time in my life, I would get home, I would do my homework, I would read books, then I would watch anime and go to sleep. So I don't think I watched anything else. I, I feel like I've heard of this, but before watching it with you, I've never seen That's it. That's so weird because you were watching Toonami. Yeah, that too. So... What time did Toonami run? Usually, it was, it was, I think like Friday nights or something, or Saturday nights. It was yeah. started at like eight no or friends. nine. I had no friends. <laughs> okay, so when I was, so I, at this time when they showed debuted, I was in sixth grade. Mm-hmm. Okay, now sixth grade to seventh grade, I was spending a lot of time at friends' houses over the weekend. You know, we'd spend the night. I'd go to their house, spend the night, or they'd come to my house, spend the night, right? And we had a ritual. Mm-hmm. At this time, because we, we were young children trying to stay up. Mm-hmm. And can you describe my sleeping habits? They haven't changed. <laughs> you hit a wall and it is very obvious it is time to stop talking to you and slowly move you towards bed. <laughs> yeah, I, I, don't, I don't do very well staying up late. 
No, no, not at all. But the we, grumpiness is felt pervasively. Well, the grumpiness came more in middle school, but mm. <laughs> I would punch my friends because oh. they were making too much noise. Like, Shut up. Yeah. You don't punch me. I did smack you a little bit last night because you woke me up. <laughs> um, but we tried anyway. Mm. So what we would do, we, the, the goal was to stay up late enough to watch either Mad TV or Family Guy. Right. Because that was on Adult Swim. That mm-hmm. was the plan. Watch Family Guy or Mad TV. So we, you know, would watch through the the lead up to like, you know, midnight or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it was, we were trying to stay up to like at least 11 p.m. Or, or midnight or something like that. And we would watch shows. Usually it's like the Saturday night lineup or whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. And at this time, like Nickelodeon Saturday night lineup and Disney Channel Saturday night, they were lame or something. We didn't want to watch. It. I didn't want to watch Taina. Or <gasps> I just wasn't interested. Oh, you don't have taste. Or like the Nick Cannon show or something. I don't know. That's fair. I'm trying. Like, I don't even know. Like they were doing. They were really leaning into the teen stuff at yeah, the time, right? Cousin I think, Skeeter. Well, that's that's that was Nick, yeah. And we were we were almost teenagers, mm-hmm. but there was something about that teen lineup that we were just like not interested in. Mm-hmm. So we would jump over to Cartoon Network and watch their Saturday Night lineup, which mm-hmm. included things like related to this show, Samurai Jack. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because this is the same creator as yeah. Samurai Jack, made Star Wars Clone Wars. Uh, Justice League. Watch a lot of Justice League. Probably like, I mean, m- maybe whatever anime they were watching. I remember like we stayed up late a, a couple times and they aired like Princess Mononoke. Oh. On Adult Swim. Okay. Yeah. But... And, the, and then the goal was to get to Adult Swim so we could watch Family Guy. Mm. You know, so we were watching Cartoon Network shows. And in that mix at the time was Star Wars Clone Wars. So oh, okay. typically between other shows, they would air a tiny little micro episode of Star Wars Clone Wars. Hmm. And a lot of these episodes just... Stuck in your head? Yeah, yeah. And the ones we're going to talk about because, again, they're three-minute episodes. We, yeah. We're going to talk a few of them. Yeah. A little collection of them. Because um, he's cheating. <laughs> and these are the ones that I remember the most. Mm-hmm. But like, I I only remember the episodes that aired like that, and that that would be that would comprise the first volume of episodes. Okay, yeah. And then towards the end of two thousand four, I believe, or close to two thousand five, they came back with a second volume of longer episodes that directly tied into uh, uh, Revenge of the Sith. The the oh. the third movie in the trilogy, mm-hmm. and I didn't watch those. I, I I guess you know we weren't watching Cartoon Network at that time. They were longer episodes as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the lead up to Revenge of the Sith, at that time I I got a DVD player for my room, mm-hmm. and I was just buying DVDs because I wanted to listen to the commentaries. Yeah. <laughs> so I bought the original trilogy Star Wars on DVD. Mm-hmm. I got episodes one and two, and then I ended up buying the DVD releases for these two movies mm-hmm. or these, these two, two series, these two seasons of, of, or volumes of Star Wars Clone Wars. So mm-hmm. I had like the whole saga of Star Wars and I'm <laughs> looking still at, over there. I'm looking at my DVD collection over there and they're, they're all in order, you know, episodes one, two, three Clone Wars, <laughs> <laughs> and then four, five, six. And then I yeah, watched those. Yeah. Nerd. Yep. So I've <laughs> seen every episode of Star Wars Clone Wars. Oh, and you like it. I did. So you should go and watch the new one with the art that you like. No, thanks. <laughs> no. 
No thanks. No, all, you're a completionist. You have no, no choice. No, those those. I'm getting on a tangent here because there's not a lot of, to talk about with this show. Um, th- that Star Wars, the Clone Wars show, mm-hmm. like it keeps bleeding into Star Wars shows I like. Uh-huh. Like um, like we really like the Mandalorian, mm-hmm. but we have not seen the third stuff. Stuff introduced in the Clone Wars, which we haven't seen, keeps bleeding into the Mandalorian. I'm like, I don't care about this. Mm-hmm. Who are you? Did you watch it? I watched season two. Okay. Remember like the Darksaber stuff? Yes. And they, they seemed like it was the most important thing in the world. And I was like, why is this important to me? And it like in the grand scheme of that show, it was not important. But because it was something from The Clone Wars, <laughs> we were meant to care about it. I cared because it looked pretty. Same with that Obi-Wan show. I think there were like characters from The Clone Wars uh, just showing up in that episode. You know, that show. Oh, you watched that one, right? I did watch that one. Okay. It yeah. was... It was fine. <laughs> it was very cheap looking. They ran out of money, I guess. I don't know. Well, it costs a lot to get some Ewan McGregor. It was like one of those things where it's like, you know, Ewan McGregor had to go to a, a, a desert planet, right? And mm-hmm. the planet was just like, hey, it's San Fernando Valley, the planet. <laughs> that is on a planet. It's like, this is just the Southern California planet. Yes. <laughs> they filmed in their backyard. I mean... Caustic. All right, we're we're rambling. Let's let's jump into this show or how it was made because I, I have I have some facts. Oh, we're gonna talk about kind of the you know the heavy hitters of Cartoon Network at the time. All right, Star Wars Clone Wars was primarily developed by Russian American animator Jendi Tartakovsky. Mm. You ever heard that name before? No, but I like Tartakovsky. Tartakovsky. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> one more time. Say it one more time. Tartakovsky. 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 Okay, that was, we're done. That was close. No, it wasn't. Tartakovsky attended California Institute of the Arts, or Cal Arts, alongside friend and roommate Rob Renzetti, who would go on to be the creator of My Life as a Teenage Robot. Oh. A show I didn't like. I knew you were going to say that. It was fine. Where the pair met Craig McCracken, oh. creator of Powerpuff Girls and Foster's Home for Imaginary Friends. I liked both of those. You liked one. No, I like, I like both of those shows. Okay. They're decent. Yeah. McCracken is such a strong name. After two years at CalArts, Tartakovsky got a job at Lapis Azul Productions in Spain to work on Batman the Animated Series. Never heard of it. It's a good show. He, alongside Renzetti, was then hired by Hanna-Barbera, Oh. which had just been purchased by media mogul Ted Turner mm. in 1991 in order to launch his new cable cartoon network, or Cartoon Network. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he was hired at the suggestion of Craig McCracken, his friend, you know, looking out for his homies. Who as had, well we should in this industry. Who had been hired as an art director at the company. Those are a lot of really heavy hitters. Like yeah, all like, those names I even remember. Well, Ted Turner was just buying up everything. And he bought up Hanna-Barbera in its entire library so he could air old Hanna-Barbera shows on Cartoon yeah. Network. And Which then, we've, we've discussed before. Yeah. And you you know the cartoon cartoon. Yeah. Cartoon cartoon was the Hanna-Barbera of uh, Cartoon Network era. You know, so. yeah. yeah. All those classic Cartoon Network shows that you know was kind of just like the the new era of Hanna Barbera. Okay. Okay. You know, Cow and Chicken and mm-hmm. and and Johnny Bravo. <laughs> Tartakovsky, Renzetti, Craig McCracken, and Paul Rudish, art director on Star Wars Clone Wars. Mm-hmm. So he'll he'll be around. All worked together on the Cartoon Network series Two Stupid Dogs. Oh. Which aired from 1993 to 1995. That's just a spinoff of Red and Stimpy, right? No. I remember I, I, I liked that show. I thought it was fine as a oh, little kid. I, I thought it was fine as well. But it was, was like on. I didn't hate it like uh, Cow and Chicken. Yeah, you really didn't like Cow and Chicken. No, I did not. <laughs> it's ugly. Gross. 
I mean, you watch Klasky Shupo shows. <laughs> I don't understand. There's something like, I mean, with Rugrats, like, again, it was like working against itself with the poopy stuff, <laughs> you know? Yeah, but also Wild Thornberries. You like you like ugly art. You know you do. Sorry, Klasky and Chupo. Again, it was like they it was <laughs> it was in spite of their art style. I like their shows. Um, but two, you know, I was like the, you, all four of these guys, like they are going to be floating around Cartoon Network, mm-hmm. and and you know planting their seeds everywhere. You know, a forest. <laughs> so obviously, you know, McCracken would go on to make Powerpuff Girls. We mm-hmm. talked about that. Tartakovsky, from there, created a little series called Dexter's Laboratory. Oh, Didi, get out of my laboratory. That show grew out of a student film with the same title that he produced at Cal Arts. Oh. And, uh, you know, I, I, I liked Dexter's Lab, I think. You know, I can I, tell. I didn't, like, love <laughs> it. You know, I don't look back on it, like, with a big nostalgia, but mm-hmm. uh, I did watch it a lot. It I was liked, on. <laughs> I liked this little... I guess the interstitials are like, you know, uh, like tiny, they were like tiny shorts featuring different characters from mm-hmm. Dexter's Lab. Uh, Dial M for a monkey. <laughs> Remember that one? Vaguely. It was like a monkey superhero, superhero or, yeah. or, or monkey uh, James Bond thing. Yeah. And then there was the, the ju- there's like a, a Justice League parody or Super Friends parody. I don't remember. With a bunch of animals. Or it was, no, it was the Avengers, right? It was like, there was... There was like a Captain America, a Thor, and a and a Hulk joke characters. Like, I don't remember they, that. They, but that they had an funny. apartment together. Oh wow! <laughs> I would watch that. I would watch that interstitial. And it just goes to show, like, all these guys were like nerds growing up, probably mm. in the you know the the fifties, sixties, and seventies. Yeah. And that's the stuff they remember. So like from the sixties and seventies, like old car, uh, like superhero shows, and you know, yeah, 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 old action series like Johnny Quest and stuff. Dexter's Lab became one of Cartoon Network's highest rated original series, and it was a critical success. Yeah. With several Emmy nominations under its belt. Tartakovsky, Renzetti, McCracken, and Rudish all worked together on Dexter's Lab, as well as McCracken's Powerpuff Girls, another critical darling. So it's funny that, like, everyone, it seemed like at Cartoon Network, everyone just kind of worked on everyone else's shows. Hmm. You know, it was just like one big collaborative process. Which is... Perfect. Like you look at these guys' credits, they also, you know, like provided voices and work on things like uh, Space Ghost, Coast to Coast, oh, and wow. other Cartoon Network shows. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, honestly, that sounds like the best kind of production company. I hear if you're not like overworking people. I hear interviews of this time at Cartoon Network, and it sounds like a blast. Yeah, like it sounds like a really magical time to work there, even though they were working for pennies and had very little oversight. Yeah, which sounds like fun and bad at yeah. the same time. You're like, oh, we can just make decisions. Nobody's going to tell us no, but we are making five dollars an hour. Because like and- <laughs> Turner Media was like so hands off, they were just allowed to get away with everything. Mm. You know, like that's how they made. Like I think the Space Ghost thing. Yeah, was just like them having fun with old Hanna-Barbera, like, footage. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like that was also the... No, never mind. There's, like, a a a hawk superhero who's an attorney, but I think... Yeah, it's Birdman. Birdman. Attorney at law. Yes. Birdman! I just feel like I remember things from that being like, that's very adult humor. Well, that was full-on Adult Swim. Yeah, that's why I was like, oh, hold on, I think that's wrong. Yeah. Is Adult Swim a different company? Or is it just like... It's it's in the Cartoon Network umbrella, but it's kind of its own thing. Got it. Yeah. Continue. <laughs> Following the success of Dexter's Laboratory, Tartakovsky pitched an action-adventure series called Samurai Jack. 
largely inspired by the 1972 televised drama Kung Fu with David Carradine. Really? Yeah. Oh. He played he he played like a wandering samurai. So what I'm hearing is we need to have a movie night where we watch that movie and then watch like the first five episodes of Samurai Jack. Or or watch uh, uh, Kill Bill because like Kill Bill Volume Two is very much like kung fu inspired. We also must watch the first five episodes of of Jack. <laughs> okay. That show debuted in 2001 and garnered strong critical acclaim, winning eight primetime Emmys over the course of its run. And I remember liking Samurai Jack. The problem was like... It's quiet and slow. And you no, 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 no. I love that. Yeah, I love that. The problem was I, I just couldn't catch it. Like I was, oh, it was always the wrong time. And for some reason, I always remember every time we did were able to watch it, it was always the same episode. Mm. Like there was an episode where he he's like wandering... Because uh, it's about a samurai that gets sent into the future mm -hmm. by his, his mortal enemy. And right. he's trying to find his way back to his own time. And... There's an episode where he is wandering and he comes upon a settlement of like dog people and they're like cartoon dog people mm -hmm. that he saves, you know, just in, in true Mandalorian fashion, <laughs> you know, true Kung Fu fashion. It's about a wandering samurai that goes from place to place mm -hmm. and helps a local town with their problem and then moves on. So in Samurai Jack, he finds a settlement of dog people. He helps them and then leaves. <laughs> and that was... I, it's always that episode. It was always that episode. I wanted to watch more, but this just wouldn't happen. That's, well, a, that's now, the problem with on-the-air television. Now the internet exists, and we can fix it. Yeah, and he's uh, Tartakovsky has gone back and like finished the series. Ah. Like he did a full on like it, he aired it on Adult Swim, so it was like fully adult. Let's you know, do like, it. Mature, violent. Let's find it. Let's yeah, watch I'm, I'm that down violent to do that. cartoon action. That's our next TV show we watch together as a couple because we haven't done that for literally two years. Maybe so. Cut to film director George Lucas. Who's that? Who, as we talked about in our 1999 and 2002 movie episodes, was right in the middle of his Star Wars prequel trilogy. His best series. Is that how you feel? <laughs> his best. You, 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 thought, you thought Attack of the Clones was his best? Yes. Because the other ones were products of other people's hampering. This is all him. Actually, what was that other movie that he made that you were, that's not bad? I mean, Star Wars? <laughs> no, no, no. It's fine. He's made like, he's, it was like American Graffiti, THX, Star Wars, and then these. It might really be American it. Graffiti. Huh? Might be American Graffiti. I've never seen that. Well, you talk about it, don't you? Eh. Okay, so like we've, we've watched the Star Wars prequel trilogy and like they're rough. They're the rough. first two are real rough. Do we still have another one to watch? Have we not finished it yet? No. No! I thought we were done! Okay, that's fine. That's fine. Continue your history lesson. More Star Wars on the way. No! No, like, so, Phantom Menace is bad. I didn't like it as a kid. I didn't. I don't like it now. Attack of the Clones, I liked as a kid. Mm-hmm. And, and I know we, we you can listen to that episode. We, we, we realized how much we dislike Attack of the Clones. On a fundamental level. On a fundamental It's a very flawed movie. Yes. Um, but I will say the the best thing to come out of Attack of the Clones is it established the Clone War setting for the Star Wars universe. Okay. Mm -hmm. Stripped away of all the flaws of Attack of the Clones. That era of Star Wars is cool and interesting. Because the original trilogy, the war that they were fighting was really like a very one-sided war. Mm -hmm. It was the all-powerful empire versus a small group of rebels. Right. 
at least in the Clone Wars, it's two armies fighting each other and you're allowed to, you know, like put Star Wars into these war settings that you hadn't seen before. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's kind of visceral because uh, America had its own war going on. Yeah, it did. <laughs> <laughs> but the point is, like, that is, you know, a ripe orchard for stories to tell in the Star Wars universe. You know, even if George Lucas isn't the one to do it, at least it's interesting. Mm-hmm. And it gave us a lot of like cool shows like this or video games set in this era. And p- people like them books and comic books. I don't I don't read them, but they're out there. Yeah. So. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I don't know. I think that it didn't necessarily we're not talking about that right but we all know that i don't like i don't like war i don't like war stories i don't like war movies i don't like war tv shows it's not for me but was it even really a war <laughs> it was just clone making and fighting and that's so- the thing it's 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 robots and disposable people so yeah. you don't have to care too much about the grisly nature of war yeah. it's it's very much like fun war stuff in the like gi joe kind of way yeah. You know, where it, it's the stakes aren't like super high. You know, it's it's not talking about the atrocities and grisly nature of war. It's yeah. more like the fun adventure parts mm-hmm. that little children have. Yeah. So it's just ugh, fun adventure parts. Yep. So like that's why I was like, yeah, I don't mind because I don't really think of it as a, a war movie. But that it sets this kind of like conflict up. Yeah. Is what allows this micro series to exist. And that's that's why. I at least commend George Lucas for creating that. Yeah. <laughs> According to Tartakovsky, Lucasfilm conceived the idea of a Star Wars animated television series based on the prequels as a way to sell action figures, as the prequel trilogy figures were underselling. It's always about action figures. Always. Lucas, he needed to make his money. And truth be told... I didn't want to buy any of the prequel trilogy stuff. But you like the, the, trequel, the I, prequels then. I think maybe it has to do with like episode one being kind of a dud. For mm-hmm. me, at least, it's like episode one didn't like make me want to go buy yeah. Anakin Skywalker figures. Sure. I, I liked Luke Skywalker and Han Solo and the Millennium Falcon. You know, yeah. like I'd rather go get that stuff. It, I think with it's like Attack of the Clones paired with like shows like this, you know, and kind of re- a renewed push for. Clone War stuff, like with Lego. Even mm-hmm. I remember getting some like Clone War Lego stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I think I think they were in the on the right track here to like renew, you know, interest in this stuff to force more money from parents. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> get little battle droid Legos. You know, have them fight each other. Cute. Presumably due to the success of Samurai Jack, Tartakovsky was offered the opportunity to create a series based on the Star Wars prequels. He said, "Quote." Eventually, I just got a call. I was like, Star Wars? Of course I like Star Wars. It's that <laughs> easy. I, I actually, I, I watched an interview also with, with George Lucas himself. And he said, like, he was drawn to Tartakovsky and, and Samurai Jack due to its anime nature. Mm-hmm. And that's what he wanted to do. He wanted to create a Star Wars show that was less traditional animated, you know, and more anime. So, so George Lucas sounds like an anime fan. Yeah, he does. There's, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I'm down. <laughs> According to Tartakovsky, the series was developed in just two weeks with a skeleton crew. Wow. That's impressive and horrifying. Yeah. And and the fact that they got the qualities as good as it is, is incredible. You know, I'm sure like that doesn't like it says developed in two weeks. I don't think like that comes down to animating and, and all that stuff, but 
it's more like storyboarding, coming up with the the, the episodes and stuff. Still, thinking is hard. It's true. <laughs> storyboarding is really difficult. The show debuted on November 7th, 2003, immediately before Cartoon Network's Friday's Friday Night Block, which is probably what I was watching to lead up to Mad TV. That makes sense. In addition to being shown on television, the episodes were simultaneously released online on the Star Wars and Cartoon Network websites, which I think that's our first. That's our first. That's our first time. Yeah. Welcome. It's a half half web series. Yeah. There we go. All right. And that is Star Wars Clone Wars. Making of (laughs) all the history. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Samurai Jack guy. Um, so what, again, I these episodes are like three minutes long, and we're only going to talk. We're going to talk about four episodes. I handpicked four episodes from Volume One Didn't of Star Wars. Did we only watch Co- three? I wish four. Mm. And uh, we're going to talk about them. Okay. And uh, there's not a lot of clips from these episodes because, just like Samurai Jack, it's kind of a wordless show in yeah. a lot of. I was going to say it's quiet, but that's a lie. It's not quiet. It's just speech. It's wordless. Low. Yeah. Because it, it's it's action heavy. Pew pew, like with your fists, and also slash slash action. That's the sizzle sizzle. That's the, that's the sound that a lightsaber makes. Sizzle. <laughs> when it cauterizes the wounds it makes. So the first episode that we watched, they're all these are all chapter names. This is chapter one. We watched mm-hmm. chapter one, which is the first episode of the series, as mm-hmm. we typically do. Yes. Watch always watch the first episode. And uh, do you remember what happens in that episode? <laughs> They're on a boat in the sky. No. They're, wait, it's basically like, it, it's part of episode two where they're talking and the old guy who's definitely very obviously a bad guy is like, hmm, the clones, let's send Anakin to watch over the lady, but they're married and they kiss goodbye. Oh, okay, so uh, you're, you're, you're kind of right. Let me unpack that a little bit. So the show opens up with a <laughs> montage of action scenes. And, like, it, the show opens up with, like, you know, a very, like, desolate uh, landscape, you know, mm-hmm. in a very Samurai Jack fashion. And you see a single, like, I guess Tauntaun, you know, like a little mon- little creature running across the, mm-hmm. the plane. And you see Yoda on it. Oh, right, right, right. And then, like, it's just, like, quiet, and you just see him. And then he he turns his lightsaber on, and Yoda's looking, like, angry. And then, the you know, the John Williams score, like, starts, and it's epic. And you suddenly see, like, two armies running at each other. Mm. And so it's just a montage of, like, you know, action war scenes happening all over the galaxy. And it's I think it's honestly to, like, show their stuff. Mm-hmm. It's to show all the, you know aerial ship battles that they could fit in two minutes yep yeah and so that's like the first like probably 30 seconds of the episode and then you heard when i introduced the show you heard yoda's narration over all that action Mm -hmm. and then the episode slows down for a sec and as you said it shows the council room for Mm -hmm. chancellor palpatine that's what i said and he has a meeting with do you remember who was there um, short braid, long braid, Yoda, black man. I don't think Mace Windu was not there. Okay. <laughs> it was it was Yoda, Obi-Wan Kenobi, and Anakin Skywalker. I think I said all of those names. The banking clan has hidden huge factories on Munalist, building huge droid armies and massive warships. We must act quickly. I agree. But who to send? 
Master Windu still fights on Dantooine. Lead the assault. Master Obi-Wan can. My army is ready, Chancellor. We can leave immediately. Yes, and young Skywalker as well. I suggest that we give him special command of your space forces. His exceptional skill will be quite useful. Chancellor, I feel that Padawan Anakin is not yet ready for such responsibility. True. With his master at Padawan's place is. But undeniably strong he has become. Perhaps... Then it is decided. <laughs> it's really they're cool. all frowning. Everyone in this show, other than Palpatine, is so angry. Like <laughs> their their character design is just like furrowed brows all the time. Yeah, I was I was thinking when I was listening to it, I was like, oh, it's a little more emotion than we ever have heard from Mister Sit in a Chair. Oh, oh, oh Ewan <laughs> McGregor. Yeah. Well, it's not his fault. Yeah, no, it's not his fault. He's a great actor. I was just like, oh, that is a more feeling Obi Wan, but <laughs> and less jokey. Because, like, you heard uh, Palpatine, you know, like, ah, yes, we should send young Skywalker to lead the Air Forces, right? And you, Anakin's force. standing there. He said Space Force. And, yeah, yeah, you know, America, American arm of the military Space Force. Mm. It's a thing. Um, but, uh, you know, Anakin kind of, like, you know, loosens up and he's like, hey, that neat. You, you, he's recommending me. And then Obi-Wan steps in. He's like, hey, he's still a Padawan learner. It's probably not the best idea. And Anakin gives the meanest stink face. Like, just Which is on brand for him. Fur, like, so angry. The, the brow is, like, deep. Very on brand for him. Excuse me. I can do anything they can do better. Excuse me, I'm a big boy. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> Excuse me, Senator. Um, and, and then... And then they're, they're talking it over, and the chancellor kind of chimes in. He's like, it's decided, right? Like, he, yeah. he finishes the conversation for Yoda and Obi-Wan and basically gives Anakin the job against their wishes. Yeah. And they both look up at him with, again, just angry eyes. Yeah. It's so funny. <laughs> yeah, so everyone in the show is just kind of, like, serious. Well, it's war. Yeah. It's literal war. People are dying. <laughs> But it, it goes down to Tartakovsky's like art style as well, because mm -hmm. I, th I feel like Samurai Jacket's the same thing. Yeah, you know, constantly serious, mm. very very serious. So yep, and then as you said, again, that's like the only lines in this episode, other than Yoda's narration at the beginning. Yeah. Um, from there, Anakin hops into his starship and is about to head off to lead this invasion of this banking planet. Mm -hmm. And uh, tells his wife he loves her. Like wordlessly, because <laughs> she's she's standing in like a room looking out the window at him who's flying away, and he like gives her a little. Bye, babe. Yep. See you in five. C three PO and R two D two are there, but they don't say anything. I don't remember that. They're just standing there, mm. and uh, C three PO his design was purposely, like, he was purposely drawn to look like C three PO from the Droids cartoon show, which is kind of funny because <laughs> that show is ridiculous. <laughs> I believe you. I've never heard of it. And that, that is the episode chapter one. That's it. That's it. That's, That's all that it. happens. So where did the show go from here? <laughs> they have a meeting. Anakin goes off and does his thing. And that's what happens. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. It's micro, guys. Right. So we, we've got more episodes to talk about. Mm -hmm. All right. So next episode is chapter three. We're going to talk about chapter three. Basically, Obi-Wan is leading the ground forces on this invasion. Mm -hmm. Anakin is leading the 
air forces up in the sky, space force. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think episode two is a space battle with Anakin. And then episode three, which is what we're going to talk about, is the ground forces. Mm-hmm. Oh, right, right, right. And it doesn't follow Obi-Wan, even though he's there. Let me, actually, let me introduce this episode. Hold on. General Kenobi, target sighted. Very good, Sergeant. Proceed with the next phase. Literally the only word spoken in this episode. <laughs> That's it. Everything else is visual. Silence, yes. Wordless silence and... You heard that? those yeah. noises? That was... This episode follows a platoon of ARC troopers, or like special forces clone troopers. Right. They've been hit with a missile. Their 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 dropship was hit by like a rocket launcher, mm-hmm. and they had to take a crash landing in the middle of a city. So they're in like an alleyway, and it's just this group of clone troopers who are able to just speak in in code and hand signals. Yeah. And it's very tactical. Yeah. And it's just their plan, you know, or their their journey from this alley where where they've been downed and mm-hmm. pinned down is to like get out of this you know get out of their predicament head up to like a, a a gunship or head up to like a gatling gun that's like shooting at the top of a building they mm-hmm. like scale the building and take out this gatling gun that's yeah. the episode yeah it's just like dudes on a mission it's very video game this is like a mission from a video game yeah 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 and you're just doing it and they do pretty they do pretty well i i will i just real quick want to say what is the point of making an army of clones and then making some of those clones special forces why not make all of them the same special forces you need chain of command you can just give someone a hat and say you are the (laughs) one who's in charge of all these people that are exactly the same as you you just need to (laughs) give them a hat psychology will do the rest (laughs) And I remember as a kid, this being the coolest episode of the show, because there is something very satisfying about seeing these troopers doing tactics mm-hmm. like the military would with just hand signals, right? Yeah. Like their commander is just like, you know, on me, you know, head yeah. out, you know, two over there, you know, let's sweep this area, that kind of thing. Yeah, with all you hand guys can't see him, but he's doing all of these hand signals. <laughs> yep. And like they they take out a tank. Mm hmm. You know, take it out for dinner. They <laughs> there's like it's one of these like these droid uh, trade federation tanks that you see in yeah. episode one of Star Wars. And it's like, you know, sweeping the, the alleyways of the city and they distract it with one group. And then a second group sneak up behind it. They like, you know, hop it. They they I don't know. They rip off the top of the tank, you know, and they shoot it's really it's it's cool looking like the the trooper like opens the hatch he jumps in while shooting downward prob- mm-hmm. presumably destroying all the droids within mm-hmm. and then you see beams coming out of it from inside so mm-hmm. he's just shooting everyone inside and then it explodes and he comes out it's he neat. makes it it's neat it would be very it's very up like small boy alley yes and not just small boy right big boy small girl big girl a lot of words that I'm saying, but it is very much like I could see just you and your friends like, oh, wow, look at that. This episode this is prob- so cool. You know, it'll be cooler family. <sighs> this episode <laughs> probably sold a lot of action figures. Oh, yeah. A lot. This sold the coolness of the, tr- the clone troopers. Yeah, I, I think I think so. You know, or those Legos, you know, sold a lot of uh, Halloween costumes, too. Probably. Yeah, probably. It made kids want to be clone troopers. Yeah. There was a video game called Galact... Was it Republic Commando? Mm-hmm. That was the name of it. Republic Commando. And you play as a 
squad of clone troopers just like this who go on missions during the Clone Wars. Okay. And, and that's I, I'm pretty sure this was a template for that. You know, huh. and all the all the clone troopers had different personalities and different roles. You Did know, you so, play it? Uh, my friend had it, and uh, I played it at his house. I never had it myself. Did you like it? Yeah. Mm. It's, a, it's a decent first-person shooter. Cool. And, and the the setting is cool. Like I said, there's there's a lot there's a lot here in this Clone Wars setting. That's true. Also, I just realized right now that they definitely retconned the whole everybody's a clone thing <laughs> for episode. Yes, they did. Seven or something. So, yeah, I guess not giving them a hat isn't gonna work. <laughs> <laughs> um, and anything about this episode that stuck out to you that you remember? They're great dancers. They had a lot of nice, good feet clacks, which makes me think of like tap dance. So <laughs> yeah, the 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 sound is, and I feel like, I feel like you have to do that if if your episode is going to be all silence or all uh you know just kind of wordless action. You mm. need to have good sound design, and it's incredibly satisfying. Yeah. to hear like the footsteps and like the armor kind of like you know and, yeah, and, and the hand signals all have like you know sound effects. Yeah, because it's very satisfying. Gloves. Yeah, it's like ASMR almost. Mm. It's a little loud. <laughs> I've been playing uh, The Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom late, lately, and that, that game also has great sound design. Mm-hmm. Link just walking sounds satisfying. That's fair. I do like the sound of, of like, click clacks of feet. So. And they're, like, walking. You know, it's a city setting, which is, you don't get a lot of that in Star Wars mm-hmm. up to this point, you know. It's all uh, Southern California uh, desert. Well, I mean, <laughs> not really. In the movies, it was very, like, you know... Um, varied you know exotic settings you mm-hmm. know the desert the snow you know the jungle right and, right. and then and then like the a, de- <laughs> a desert arena and, and you know there was the sedent in star wars with you know a little bit of coruscant stuff but like mm-hmm. you didn't really see full-on like battles like space right. or you know uh, uh, military battles in cities in star wars mm-hmm. yet naboo the, the the naboo stuff in episode one was like lame Lame. They were they were negotiating for a whole people. But I get you. This this showed how cool urban warfare in Star Wars could be. Wow, that's a thing that you just said. Um, I would like all you kids to know that I do not like urban warfare. Anyway, the clone troopers they like scale this giant building. And yeah, you, you, they have like you know this wide shot of the building, and you see all of their like hooks. Their their like Glatling. No, it's they're they're harpoons or whatever. Mm-hmm. If they, you know, they scale the building and they, you know, you you see all four of them like scaling the building like a military operation would. You know, it's pretty yeah. neat looking. It was. It's very nicely done. And they take out the bit giant Gatling gun at the top, mm-hmm. anti air cannon. I don't know. I don't know military <laughs> stuff. <laughs> Especially space military stuff. But they accomplished their mission. They did. Good job, guys. Play this. If we're on your side. Freaking the army could play this to recruit. Wow. (laughs) Honestly, like I'm pretty sure like uh, Tartakovsky like watched real military. Yeah. Like for research. He watched real real military tactics to see how a squad of clone troopers would would move and operate Mm. silently, you know, in an urban setting. Good job. (laughs) That's it. McClaxky. Trying to draw this out a little bit, but I guess that's it. (laughs) All right, the next chapter we watched was chapter five. And this one followed a Jedi master named Kit Fisto. Kit Fisto. Do you remember what Kit Fisto looked like? He was a fishman. He was the squid man. 
Yeah, he was the he was the what is the what are they called in Zora? He's a Zora. He kind of has Zora energy for yeah. sure. Uh, it's funny. I still laugh about a joke you told on that Attack of the Clones episode we did, <laughs> where you said, "I I asked why is the Jedi Council sending Anakin Skywalker to protect Padme, two attractive young people <laughs> that's asking for trouble? Send the Squid Man." <laughs> and you said, "But she can't kiss a Squid Man." <laughs> One she could. Right. <laughs> Kid Fist does a Casanova. <laughs> I was wrong. Don't send the Squidmen. <laughs> but yeah, Kid Fisto is a dude with like tentacle head. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's got, uh, he's green. Mm-hmm. He's got fish eyes. Yes. He is an Attack of the Clones. He shows up at the big Jedi battle on Geonosis in the Coliseum. Mm-hmm. You know, when all the Jedi are like surrounded by all the, 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 the droids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so he's there and he's like flopping around. He's got Ugh. a lightsaber out. It's like, how does he not cut those things off? Practice. <laughs> the force. He uses the force to keep his hair down. His his squid head. Yep. Oh, let me let me let me actually set the scene here. I got I got I got a clip. Because Yoda Yoda's gonna tell us what, what Kid Fisto's up to. Troubled is the planet Mon Calamari. Its races have divided. The droid army of the Corrin Isolation League moves against the Calamari Council. Alone, the Calamari are no match. Intervene we must. Master Fisto, in these matters, trust your insight we do. May the Force be with you. There you go. So he's on the planet Mon Calamari. Yum. That's a real thing. Yummy. <laughs> the calamari people are tasty. They're all they're also like squid men, mm. but they're they're not. Uh, uh, Kit Fisto is not a calamari. No. 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 Uh, do, do you know Admiral Akbar? Oh man, I should have got that. I don't have that clip. It's a trap. <laughs> you know that one? Yes. Yes, I've heard that yeah, one. That is that is. Uh, He's a calamarian. That's Admiral Akbar, a calamarian, <laughs> and. His people, I guess, are they having a civil war of some kind? Mm. His, it's like two races. It's like you got the calamaris who look like squid people, and then there's like, like lobster people, I guess. Maybe I can't actually. They remember. had like like pointier heads, and those are the evil ones. Wow. And, and they've they've. Uh, what makes them evil? <laughs> they they partnered with the the separatists, the trade federation, mm. and uh, they they're trying to they they're gonna fight. They're going to fight the Republic and the Calamari are on the side of the Republic, but they're weak and they they have they stand no chance hmm. unless Kit Fisto and his platoon of stormtroopers comes in and, and saves them. And they do. Yeah. Do you remember what this episode's all about? Like what um, the, the setting is? It's in the water. Yeah, it it's all underwater. Wa- it's all water. And then it's boom, boom, boom. And that's the sound of water. People it's Star underwater. Wars first underwater battle is, uh, is what Tartakovsky described it as. I'm sorry. I'm pretty sure they fought a fish underwater in the first episode one. That don't count. <laughs> they do go underwater in the Phantom Menace, but they don't like fight a, a space battle or a, a you know military battle yeah, down there. I feel like it has to be hard to light a lightsaber when you're surrounded by water. And I'm sure that was something they had to think about. It's like, mm-hmm. what does a lightsaber look like underwater? And you see it and it's like steaming all the water around it. You know, it's like yeah. bubbling and it's like, you know, pulsating almost. It's so so- you interesting that water doesn't get into the like the hilts because it's just an opening where the yeah and you would think it would just short circuit it anyway that's this is magic cartoons 
sorcery with a, a magic hot sword. And so that doesn't happen. And um, he goes in there and he just like starts fighting and beating people up and exploding things yeah, there's in not a, whole a sexy fish way. <laughs> there's not, he, he does that. He's shirtless the whole time. Oh, dear. <laughs> oh, dear me. Probably awoke. Did My it, pearls. Did it awaken, you think, some, no. some, some people out there? To, <laughs> Possibly. To the sexiness of a Absolutely. I'm sure that um, DC modeled M Momoa uh, <laughs> a little bit after this guy. Who knows? Um, yeah, there's not a whole lot to say other than this. This episode is really cool. I think that's the thing. All the episodes I chose were like cool episodes that stuck out to me as a kid. Yeah. It's like this one was neat. Do you want to? <laughs> Exciting. Do you want to go swimming shirtless? Uh, I'll get you a lightsaber. No, and you can not. relive it and be cool. I'm not swimming anywhere. <laughs> and uh, I don't know. Again, I think this episode also like single-handedly made Kit Fisto cool. Yeah. Because, like, he was, like, a nobody in Attack of the Clones. Honestly? And he dies immediately in, in Revenge of the Sith. Like, well, he, he shows up with Mace Windu to, like, apprehend the Emperor. And what? then 4919 is called. No, no, no. He just dies, like, oh. before that even happens. <laughs> like, the, the Emperor, like, pulls his lightsaber out and fights them and kills Kit Fisto immediately. Well, you know... There weren't a hundred people. You know, war. Sometimes we can get bested by the simplest thing. But if I they're trying say, to sell, you're, you're trying to sell toys. Yeah. You got to make Kit Fisto cool. And yeah. this episode did that. Episode one, Kit Fisto was the safe choice to go with Padme on her adventure. Two. Episode two, Kit Fisto was the safe choice to send attractive Adme, Adme with. <laughs> and then Clone Wars... Not not safe. Animated Kit Fisto, not safe. And then back <laughs> to... Was, she would have kissed him. She would have kissed him. He would have took her to the beach. She would have been like, hey, put the snorkel thing on so you can see where I come from. And it would have been a great sexy date. But then... He would have treated her right. He would have treated her right. He wouldn't have gone to the dark side. Think of the squishy squid babies they could have made. Think of what the world would have been <laughs> without more Skywalkers. He wouldn't have lost his hand. Luke Fisto. <laughs> <laughs> That's so bad. Luke and Leia Fisto. No, no, no. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> Just alternate reality is done. What have we done here? <laughs> anyway, this episode's cool. I think it made it single-handedly made Kid Fisto cool. Yeah. Uh, when he died in Revenge it made of the us Seth. All sad. Like I, I recognized him. It's uh, like, hey, there's Kid Fisto from that cartoon. And, and there then he, he died. Goes. And there he goes. <laughs> there he goes. <laughs> Do you know how sad Padme would have been? <laughs> and Luke and Leia Fisto. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Yeah, that's that's it. That's it for chapter five. And we've only got one more episode to talk about, and that is chapter 13. You only did odd episodes. I did. Hey. How about that? I think it's because all the even episodes keep going back to, to Anakin. Oh. And I, I was like, nah, you know, those Anakin, like, there are good Anakin episodes in this mm. series, but they're all from volume two. Ah. Because it, it, it does a better job of, like, tracking his path to the dark side. Mm. You know, it, it shows, and his path to becoming a Jedi Master, because... You don't really see that too no. much of that in, in in the movies. No, it's just like, hey, come on, come on! I got ice cream in my truck, and he's like, okay, that's that's what I feel like. The <laughs> we'll get more into it. 
But you know, like in, in the the second half of the episode uh, of the series, Anakin like has you know Jedi training. He goes through his uh, like in in the Empire Strikes Back, Luke goes into a cave and has like a spiritual experience, you know, where he faces his demons and mm-hmm. um, and, and Darth Vader, like a phantom of Darth Vader. It, it's part of his Jedi journey. Anakin has a similar uh, uh, spiritual Arc. journey, but in this show, ah. not in the movie. Got it. And uh, Anakin is like being hunted by a uh, by like a Sith bounty hunter type character that is introduced in the show. Hmm. Uh, we'll talk. Yeah, I'll talk about it a little bit later with the the legacy of the, the show. Up. But okay. yeah, but uh, yeah, Anakin has interesting stuff going on. Mm-hmm. But as a kid, those episodes didn't like. Yeah, stick they were with not me. as cool. They weren't. But you know who was cool? Who? Black guy. Wandu Widu. What is his name? <laughs> Wandu Widu. What is his name? Mace Windu. Ace Windu. Mace. Mace Findu. <laughs> Mace finna do that right now. Oh, right, yeah. This is the last episode, Chapter 13, focuses on Jedi Master Mace Windu uh, in the films played by... Macaulay Culkin. I'm just kidding. I obviously know it's Samuel L. Jackson. Yep. <laughs> Uh, I, I've got one clip and literally the only words spoken in this episode. Internal explosions all over. We are losing control. What? What? <laughs> what? Um, Tartakovsky said that this episode purposely was done to show a little bit of comedy. Uh-huh. Yeah, so he 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 recognized that there's there's an element of comedy that is inherent in, in Star Wars, yeah. yeah in, in Star Wars. So this episode is like absurd, mm. like as far as action goes. Yeah, like describe what happens. So Mace Windu, Samuel L. Jackson, he's on what? a desert planet what fighting pla- a bunch of droids, and he does a lot of flying. <laughs> he loses his his uh, lightsaber at some point. Yep. Like two or three times, he does a ground pound that just like make no, 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 no. One of the machines does a ground pound that basically like shakes all the sand and makes everyone lose their footing and kind of creates divots. And he's just jumping and flying. And there's a kid watching the whole thing eating an ice pop. It's it's like the planet itself. Like I guess you describe it as like dust bowl planet. You mm-hmm. know, it looks like like Oklahoma or something. Like mm-hmm. a, a, like a, a desolate farm. You know, out somewhere. You know, it's kind of dusty. Yeah. You know, it's like a wind farm and you see like propellers or whatever. And yeah. the the episode is kind of framed as a little boy from this farm, you know, almost like Luke Skywalker would have been, you know, like kind of this young dreamer running through his farmland. You know, he's out. He, who knows what, you know, like a he's like a shepherd or something, you know, mm-hmm. and he just sees explosions off in the distance and he runs out to look. Why? And he like sees down in the valley. There's this you know battle going on between troopers and, and droids. Yeah, it it's very old fashioned. You know, like what you'd see in old war movies. Mm-hmm. You know, like the little kid watching on and like feeling like amazed by the action happening down there. You know. Yeah. And this this one this episode in particular reminds me the most of uh, Samurai Jack mm-hmm. because. Samurai Jacks did this a lot where it was like, you know, mixing quiet moments with action moments, you know, and seeing this little kid and it's very quiet. You don't hear anything other than his like footsteps as he runs through the field and you hear like distance, ex- distant explosions. Mm-hmm. And then when he finally comes over that hill and sees all the battle, that's when the action starts. Yeah. Which is really cool. Cinematic. 
Yeah, it's very cinematic, though in my brain I'm like, go home, tell your parents, because this war is coming towards you and everything you know will be destroyed. Charlie and I got no self-preservation, but it was really cool to watch just like kind of um, that voyeuristic look mm-hmm. uh, was cool. And then as you talked about, Mace Windu comes in and just destroys everything. He wrecks everything. shop. He is an unstoppable killing machine. Unstoppable. I don't know how he wasn't in episode four and five. This man obviously didn't die. There's no death for him. If Yoda survived, Mace Windu survived. And that's the thing. So this episode. If Obi-Wan survived in a desert, where's Mace Windu? (laughs) It's absurd how much he gets away with here. Yeah. Because he, yeah, he's fighting off like just dozens and dozens of battle droids Mm single-handedly. You know, he's. Just chopping them up with his lightsaber. And then, as you said, he loses the lightsaber because the clone troopers have this giant flying machine Mm -hmm. that drops, like, a giant metal beam into the ground. Mm -hmm. And it causes, like, sound waves. Yeah. Or earthquakes, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, like, the earth is shattered in a wave away from the machine. Yeah. And dust is flying. And Mace Windu loses his lightsaber when that happens. But he's just jumping around. He's literally flying, like you said. Very um, circa Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. It's beautiful. <laughs> I mean, it's more than that. I feel like he's, it's like the Matrix. Mm. I'm pretty sure this was inspired by the Matrix. Like, he's hes literally flying. Yeah. Like, he's, he's Superman. Yeah. You know? He's like, uh, the Force can let me do this. He jumps Why over not? like this giant wave of Earth, you know, and he's yeah. like running up walls and stuff. Yeah. It's, it's insane. And then... He's doing all this without a lightsaber, and then finally he gets his lightsaber back, like, you know, on a whim. You know, it's kind of finds oh, it in the sand. Serendipity. He just gets it, and then he cuts his way into the machine. And that's the clip we heard. We're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and he's just causing carnage and mayhem everywhere he goes. He yeah. kills the, the, the pilots. Yep. They're all droids, so, you know, you don't feel bad about it. Because it's not people blood, it's oil. And then he takes that thing down, it crashes into the ground, and he, he lands safely right next to the child that's been watching. Yeah. He, he single-handedly destroyed everything. He won this battle single-handedly. Yep. And, and at the very end, the little kid's like, here, take my canteen. You must be tired. You're, you're a superhero to me. And, and Mace Windu gives him a smile and drinks. And then off to another ridiculous battle. So, like... This this episode is one of those examples where it's like they broke the force, you know, <laughs> like the force is magic. Yeah. And, and it's always been magic, but like never has it been used to this degree. Yeah. Where it's like this overpowered, like the, the, the force is OP here. OK, yeah, it's a lot um, like and I think people complain about this aspect of stores is when the, the force gets too OP. Mm-hmm. You know, it takes like it makes it a cartoon. And this is a cartoon, but, you know, it, it breaks reality. Yeah. I can remember, like, there was a, uh, a video game called The Force Unleashed. Yeah. Where you play as Darth Vader's secret apprentice. Our friend Donkey played that. Yeah. And, and one of the things that that character does in the, in, the, in the game is pull down a Star Destroyer with the Force from ground level on a planet. Uh. And it's up in the atmosphere and he just pulls it down. <laughs> and I'm like, that breaks the Force. Okay. Yeah. That, that's OP. Yeah, and then like, freaking people complain about Ray Skywalker in those in that movie or whatever mm-hmm. in the the new movies. Oh, I didn't realize she was a Skywalker. That's like the end of the the, the thing. Uh, That's like her thing. Okay. That's why it's called Rise of Skywalker. Got it. 
Anyway, Ray, <laughs> she people complain that she's a too overpowered. Mm-hmm. Well, she's you know she, she she's good at everything. She's a Mary Sue. You know, I'm listen, dudes. The 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 force had been broken already. Okay, it's already broken. But not in canon. And yeah. I'm like, I I forgive it because it's cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like it's cool to watch. It is ridiculous. It's absurd. Yeah. But I think you can get away with it if it's done in the service of like spectacle. I guess. I think that um, if the Force was really there, why would there even be government? Like, if Siths and Jedi were a thing, look, I'm just trying to live my life so the wizards don't recognize me because they can literally crush my entire being with a thought. The wizard. <laughs> like, they are wizards. Yeah, I was like, if somebody's like, I'm a Jedi, mm-mm. You could, be a, you could be a Jedi, you could be a Sith. I don't know. If you have the ability to use the Force, I need to be on a different planet, and that planet needs to um, say that you guys are illegal to come here but you know they're space wizards who can crush you or your entire planet so maybe not just hide and i mean it's kind of you know contradictory that they they the jedi go down so easy in the next movie with one order from order 66 yeah you know the 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 clone troopers are able to take them down it's like no man mace windu mace windu absolutely he showed how you know how how easily he could dispatch an entire platoon yeah He's not about to. Nope, nope. Illogical. But that's it, really. Yeah. That's the four episodes that we watched. And did you have a favorite one? Did you like any of them in particular? Uh, I liked. I think I liked the uh, the Mace one, just because it was it was ridiculous. There's a lot. There's a lot. It's 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 memorable. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah. I think my favorite was the the Clone Trooper one. I, I was yeah. also gonna say number three, just because sound design was better. Because clickety clack clack clack. Yeah, but this show is good. Mm-hmm. I, I would you recommend the Star Wars Clone Wars? Sure, I would. Yeah, it's well. all on Disney Plus. I found out. Oh, it's also free on YouTube. Ah, <laughs> Disney does not care Disney about does not this. Care. Uh, it, so it, it's on YouTube. You can watch it in HD for free. It's also on Disney Plus, um, which you pay for. So yeah, so <laughs> check it out. I, th- I think it's good. I, I definitely think it's a recommend. Um, okay, it's not like a, a firm recommend for me. It's just that like I wouldn't dissuade you from it and i wouldn't tell you to turn it off if i was in the room if it was on i think if you're if you're going through the star wars trilogy or or, or series i guess mm-hmm. if you're like watching them all in order like between two and three you really should just watch this series or the other one no <laughs> I, I i can't i can't you can't say that yeah. you haven't seen it you don't know what's in it what's in it but i think that, that i'll talk about it they complement each other you can watch both mm-hmm. um i think the star wars star wars the clone wars doesn't directly contradict anything that happens in this show mm-hmm. it, it doesn't um overwrite or yeah yeah on. and they don't cover the same ground yeah i think i uh, think lucas did that on purpose because he didn't want to he didn't want to make this show Irrelevant. obsolete yeah so i i recommend it i think you should watch it yeah but what did the world think star wars clone wars garnered overwhelming critical acclaim with praise going to its animation action and minimalist storytelling mm-hmm. which makes sense yeah I also didn't get a lot of I couldn't find like ratings information because well, this was a small micro series. Yeah. Like they didn't like track ratings, I guess. So uh, who knows how many people watched it? Collider called the series, quote, ahead of its time and a, quote, groundbreaking work of art, saying it, quote, better utilize the environments, planets and tech designs than the prequels. Yeah. As well as, quote, side characters better suited for a brief adventure. Yeah. All those things I think are positive. Sci-Fi Wire calling Clone Wars the best Star Wars television production ever produced 
wrote that Jen D. Tartakovsky, quote, gave Star Wars its most dynamic visuals ever as he tackled all the Clone War action and conflict Lucas left out of his big screen prequels. And that same outlet said, quote, what Clone Wars lacks in intricate storytelling it more than makes up for with stunning animation and stirring action scenes. The mini episodes are bare bones by design as Tartakovsky employs a pure visual storytelling execution. Star Wars Clone Wars won three Emmy Awards, including Outstanding Animated Program twice. It also won the Annie Award for Best Animated Television Production in 2006. So, The Annie Kin Award? Annie Awards, I think, are for like kids shows. Annie Awards. Because uh, Little Annie? Little Orphan, <laughs> little orphan Annie? Well, he wasn't an orphan until he was a teenager. Little Annie? <laughs> and where did Star Wars Clone Wars go from here? Star Wars Clone Wars ran for three seasons of 25 episodes, later collected into two volumes for its DVD release. And as I mentioned, uh, episodes in season three ran 12 to 15 minutes as opposed to three to five. And uh, the, the season three in particular are episodes that directly lead into Revenge of the Sith. Okay. So like it, it, it shows you like what happened because because uh, uh, Revenge of the Sith kind of opens in medias rest like mid action scene mm-hmm. like Anakin and Obi-Wan are going to rescue the, the, the chancellor. Mm-hmm. From like a spaceship up in the atmosphere, and Star Wars Clone Wars shows you how the Chancellor got captured, ah, kidnapped. Sweet. So in that case, uh, this show was the first appearance of uh, General Grievous. General Kenobi. <laughs> yeah, that, that guy. guy? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. He, he shows up and he wrecks shop in uh, in the series. Mm. It shows how he got his cough. Because okay. I, I think I think Obi Wan like crushes his chest at some point with oh. with the Force. That's why he's coughing in the movie. Oh, okay. The series also introduced Star Wars antagonist. I'm gonna I'm gonna butcher this. Asajj Ventress, who okay. who has made several canon appearances and non-canon appearances since. Cool. She is an a Sith, uh, warrior mm-hmm. who's kind of like the apprentice of Count Dooku. Okay. She's a lady. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's an alien lady. And she is basically like, she's like an assassin sent to kill Anakin Skywalker. Mm. Um, and she fights with two lightsabers. You know, Got t- it. Two red ones. And they have like this epic duel in the rain when Anakin is like training, you know, hmm. uh, just it's ju- just them in the jungle amongst some ruins. It's raining. And like, I think they have like, you know, steam is coming off the lightsabers because, you know, they're, they're yeah. out in the rain and it's really, really cool and epic. And <laughs> she said, this is my chance. Yeah. And then. She's shown up in Star Wars: The Clone Wars mm-hmm. and cool. other things in the Star Wars universe. So cool! Yeah, she was like a real standout, and she was introduced in this show. A series of Hasbro action figures was released between 2003 and 2005, including four Walmart exclusive three packs. Hmm. And in 2021, more toys were released to promote the series as part of the Star Wars Vintage Collection. Oh, so that's pretty. There you go. Right. They're still, you know, still making money. Yeah. Between 2004 and 2007, Dark Horse Comics published a 10-volume comic series titled Clone Wars Adventures. Okay. Which utilized the style of the 2D animated series and depicts original stories set during the Clone Wars era. George Lucas considered Tartakovsky's Clone Wars series as a pilot for his 2008 computer animated television series, Star Wars The Clone Wars. Mm -hmm. With the character designer for that latter series attempting to translate aspects of the character designs from the 2D series into 3D. So, in some ways, I think Lucas and his team considered The Clone Wars to be a sequel to Clone Wars. Hmm. 
in design and like, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. spiritual elements. It was a spiritual successor. It's a younger cousin. The 2008 series did not initially supersede the continuity of the 2003 series, but following Disney's acquisition of Lucasfilm in 2014, it was announced that the CGI series would officially remain canon, while the 2003 series and most other spinoff works would not. Mm. So Disney wrote this one out of canon. Uh, it's like now one of like it's like Star Wars Legends or something like that. No, they have like tiers of of canon for Star Wars. Wow. So yeah, yeah, that that's that's it for Clone Wars. But where did series creator Jendi Tartakovsky go from here? Where? Well, he alongside Paul Rudish and Brian Andrews co-created the Cartoon Network series Symbionic Titan, which ran from 2010 to 2011. I've never, never heard, heard of it. it. <laughs> he created Adult Swim series. Primal and Unicorn Warriors Eternal, both of which are still running. Not seen either. I've heard good things about Primal. Okay. I heard it's very Samurai Jack-esque. And he's directed the first three and written the fourth Hotel Transylvania films. Oh, wow. Yeah. So he's the Hotel Transylvania guy now. I mean, they're popular. Over the course of his career, Jendi Tarkovsky has earned five Emmy Awards and three Annie Awards, and he has been nominated for several more. Good job, Jindy. And that's Star Wars Clone Wars. Hey, uh, we did that in kind of record time. Maybe. I, it was, it was, yeah. Look, we just put up an almost four hour episode. <laughs> this is true. So if this is a little shorter, we're doing a favor for Yeah, the that's totally fine. But yeah, so I mean, we're not done with Star Wars. We'll have no. more, to, <laughs> more to come. But uh, yeah, it was a good show. Anyway, we're going to close out with uh, what's considered like the theme of this show, but it's just repurposed music from uh, from John Williams' score from Attack of the Clones. Okay. Uh, like I have it written here. Hold on. Um, the show reuses several pieces of John Williams' Star Wars scores, mm-hmm. but Clone Wars does feature new new music from James L. Venable and Paul Dentleter. Okay. <laughs> Those are names. Delighter? Delighter? Dentleter? Dentleter? Dentleter Media? Anyway, yeah, so uh, we're, we're going to use some pieces from John Williams' score because it's good. But uh, it, it, the, the piece is called Bounty Hunter's Pursuit, okay, which is from Attack of the Clones. But it's kind of reused here as Clone Wars theme song. So Sounds we'll good. close out with that and we'll be back after the break with Jess's show of 2003. See you on the other side, kids. We'll be right back to Fridays, only on Cartoon Network. The Clone War rages on. In the deepening twilight of the Jedi, Master and Apprentice grow farther apart. You're no Qui-Gon Jinn. Let's go. As the Republic makes a desperate last stand against the shadow cast by Darth Sidious and his pupils. Tsunami presents Volume 2 of the critically acclaimed micro-series, Star Wars Clone Wars, coming up next. Impressive. Most impressive. Only Tsunami. We are back 
with I, I, I is that the theme song? I found like I think a, it is. There's a theme like opening with with like Grim Reapers doing day to day like they're like punching in. Yeah. You know, go, photocopying and stuff. I can't I'm not sure. Anyway, that that's the theme song. It's composed by uh Stuart Copeland of the Police. Good job, Stu. Or um Spyro the Dragon if you prefer. <laughs> Stuart Copeland did all the Spyro the Dragon music. Oh wow. So that that this song freaking sounds like Spyro the Dragon. <laughs> the <laughs> piano, the doo -doo -doo -doo. I was when it came up, I was like, what is this video? Oh yeah. <laughs> Another vic video backdoor? But yeah, that's theme song for Jess's show, which is a show I'd never heard of. <laughs> never. <laughs> um, and uh, I, I, it's going to be a theme moving forward. TV shows I've never heard of. Why are you so from this point forward? I think that I think so. Almost every show that Jess will have watched <laughs> is a show I'd never heard of. It was it. What year are we in? It's the time. I will say, uh, jumping into what's your history with this show. It, we're, well, what show is it? What show oh, is it? My bad. Debuting June 27th, 2003 on Showtime. Created by Brian Fuller, starring Ellen Muth and Mandy Patinkin. That is Dead Like Me. Do, 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 do. All right, continue. <laughs> um, so I definitely watched this uh, the first season when I was in high school. On Showtime. On Showtime, you yes. You had Showtime. Mm -hmm. And no adult supervision. <laughs> but um, it was like one of the rare things. Oh, anime is not on, so I'm watching something else that seems interesting but i i rewatched a lot of it and like probably i probably only watched like in high school part of the first season and i finished the first season and some other of the seasons um in the age of the internet when it's netflix is just putting stuff on it or hulu is collecting things this is the age of the like that sounds interesting i've never heard it and this is also why i watch stuff from other countries it's just on there and i click it so yeah, we're in a season of you just don't know where I am because you were not watching Netflix. I'm. It's so funny that you because some of your runners up have been like HBO shows and stuff mm -hmm. like that. I never grew up with uh, with premium cable. Mm -hmm. My dad pirated basic cable yeah. when I was a little kid. So we got like we, we got two pay-per-view channels mm -hmm. like in the middle. So like, you know, they, they would just play the same movie 50 times during a day because it was a pay-per-view. Yeah. Or uh, we got boxing and wrestling pay-per-views. And then somewhere in high school, my parents stopped pirating cable and we got like direct TV satellite. Mm -hmm. And even then we still didn't pay for HBO Showtime or Cinemax or anything like that. <laughs> Stars didn't, didn't have any of those things. So all of that content is foreign to me. Yeah. The Sopranos and well, Weeds. Was Six that, Feet Under. Yeah, all that stuff yeah. is, is just just gone. You know, passed me by. Mm. Never cared to watch any of it. <laughs> because you didn't have access. If you had access, you might have. <laughs> so it's just funny that your parents paid for that. You know, we didn't pay for like the full package. I did get Showtime, HBO. I don't think we got Cinemax. Well, that's the the the, the naughty network. <laughs> Only at night. <laughs> and then, I mean, show and Showtime's the poor man's HBO. 
How dare you? You're That's calling what... me poor man? I was. I was. Um, well, this show is a direct ripoff of another HBO show. Which show? Uh, Six Feet Under. Oh, I never watched Six Feet Under. I didn't either. <laughs> I thought Six Feet Under was about like undertakers and like people working at at like funeral homes. I, I've, I saw a lot of like comparisons between this show and Six Feet Under. Like this was their this was Showtime's answer to HBO's Six Feet Under. Hmm. I think that's interesting because I would even call, go as far to say as this is uh, like pushing daisies is also like in this family, which is well. Not I mean, any technically, it is. I'm pretty sure that's the same yeah. creator. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> I was just like, yeah, there's a theme. I I legit didn't. I never watched Six Feet Under because it it sounded just kind of like the nine to five of burying people rather than oh, here's a magical left thing effort. Effect, a magical effect. But maybe I'll go and see what Six Feet Under is all about now. Count me out. Mm, no, I won't. <laughs> um, so, boilerplate, what's the show about? Before I get into the history. Uh, the show is about a young girl who lives a very full life before leaving it. <laughs> a very grumpy 19-year-old. Yeah, it's just about a real, like jerk of a girl who thinks she has it all figured out at 19 and is jaded by everything and dies on her first day of work tragically and horribly and she's popped out of her body and becomes a grim reaper and she must do the same reaping to people just names on papers uh until she reaches her unknown quota quota and then she will uh, be promoted and move on to somewhere else which we don't know about it's about the life and times of grim reapers yep <laughs> through the eyes of a really grumpy 19 year old very very grumpy uh yeah that, that is it and uh very unlikable <laughs> oh yeah well i'm gonna talk about that it's <laughs> one of the show's weaknesses uh okay well we'll see about that all right but where did the show come from who did it come from spyro the dragon uh, Spyro the Dragon was on the downswing in 2003. Eh. I'm pretty sure all three of the, the, the first three games have been out already. Mm. And those are the good ones. And then. Oh, wow. Uh, why, why are we talking about this? I don't know. I... <laughs> Dead Like Me was created by American television writer Brian Fuller, who cut his teeth on the Star Trek series with the series Deep Space Nine and Voyager. That's a lot of space movies, TV shows. So uh, I have never seen. I've seen one episode of Star Trek, I think, in my life, like OG Star Trek. Mm. Uh, so I reached out to the biggest Star Trek fan I know, friend of the show, Gooey Fame. Ah. Uh, <laughs> and he, he's big into all the Star Treks. Oh, I've, I've seen him just like watching Deep Space Nine. Just just, because. Just because. Just Comfort shows. Um, I so it. I asked him, hey, you know, Brian Fuller created Dead Like Me. We're going to be talking about that show. What were his episodes of Star Trek like? Mm. And I think Gooey said, like, they're not the tippity top of Star Trek <laughs> shows, but they're all pretty good. Okay. Like, um, he, he, I, he, I sent him the list of every sh episode that he wrote mm -hmm. or directed. Was the showrunner of? And he said, yeah, those are all good. You know, those are all like standout episodes of the series. So, like, mm -hmm. you know, he was a, you know, hot shot in the Star Trek okay. scene. I mean, he, he basically helps run Star Trek now. Oh, okay. He's involved in Discovery and all those other shows that are on. <laughs> what is that? What is that network now? Not CBS Go. It's the other one. Sci-Fi. No, it's Paramount Plus. Oh. Paramount Plus. He owns Paramount Plus now. Oh, really? No, just uh, he's just there a lot. But then Gooey said, like, 
Star Trek Discovery sucks and he hates it. Oh. Um, but he doesn't think that's Brian Fuller's fault. It's, <laughs> it's the other guy's fault. So, I don't know. Take that as you will. Fuller also wrote the 2002 television adaptation of Stephen King's Carrie. So those were his big claims to fame before Dead Like Me. Why would you make a TV adaptation of that? Uh, there's probably a lot in the book that does not get made into, does not make it into the movie. During I the, wouldn't know. I don't read or watch either of them. During the final season of Star Trek Voyager, Fuller began writing a pilot spec script titled Dead Girl that could serve as a writing sample for future job opportunities. That was like uh, some of his agents said, you know, hey, write something. So that you have a resume, because people will see Star Trek and completely write you off. Yeah. Oh, that, I mean, that makes sense. For like, write something so you can see your range. Range that you have a range. And Star Trek, like Star Trek, was a dirty word in 2003, I think, as well. Ah! Well, I mean, uh, is a Star Trek Nemesis? What? There, there was a Star Trek movie that came out in 2002, and it sucked, and everyone hated it, and they almost killed the franchise. Oh, sorry, my brain is like, but the good Star Wars Star Trek hasn't come out yet. Yeah, it was saved by J.J. Abrams. Hey. But, but I'm telling you, by this point, Star Trek was a dirty word. It was mm. unsellable. How dare they ruin the franchise? It was Nemesis, by the way. Star Trek <laughs> Nemesis. Yeah, I it was can't not, keep It was track. a bomb. It was not liked. I, I, I don't know. I, yeah. was, I wasn't watching it. No, me neither. There's too many Star Treks. In the same way, there's too many Power Rangers. So I got a quote. Uh, Fuller said, quote, I had only been writing for Star Trek, and my manager told me, nobody's going to read that, so you need to write a spec script (laughs) that serves as your calling card. He said I could write a script for another show or write something original and asked if I had any original ideas. I pitched him three, and he said, write Dead Like Me. I can sell that one. So, Dead Girl. All right. As alluded to there, Dead Girl became Dead Like Me. The pilot was produced in 2002 by MGM TV Entertainment for the premium cable network Showtime, (gasps) who was at the time making a concerted push for prestige original programming to directly compete with HBO. (laughs) So I guess like he wrote this script. His agent said, I can sell that one. He sold it to MGM TV, who then partnered with Showtime to produce the pilot because they figured, hey, we can compete with Six Feet Under with that. And that is literally all I have for Dead Like Me. All right. Short and simple. It sounds like right place, right time for Brian Fuller. Good job. And your agent actually uh, was, I don't want to say was actually helpful, like agents aren't helpful. But right now where I'm at, I'm like the idea of someone just like, ah, just write a sample. Actually do three. I'm banging my head into the wall. Like, no. (laughs) And then, uh, you know, halfway through season one, Brian Fuller would be in the wrong place at the wrong time. Oh, no. <laughs> Foreshadowing. Oh, no. Let's just say Showtime seems like a bad company to work with. Ugh. Why do we Why do we watch TV shows from bad companies? Just the way I mean, things it doesn't, go. doesn't sound like it's NBC, but. Fox. <sighs> They're all bad. They're all bad. They're all bad. And like weird sci-fi fantasy type shows or supernatural shows other than Buffy which I see seems to be an anomaly yeah the other exception that, to the rule yeah TV networks were not down with that they were they were they wanted safe they were they were like we want the weird cool idea but we don't want to commit Ugh. you know or we want to try to control it they're like toxic boyfriends <laughs> or girlfriends <laughs> but yeah so we watched the first episode of dead like me it's called you want to take a guess dead it's just called Pilot. <laughs> it's the pilot. It's 
called pilot well, i just want to pause real quick uh to say kids we are very on theme right now to talk about this because we are both a little not alive right now it's true <laughs> i feel like my voice is so flat um and i am lisping because i'm tired so we're in character we're undead this morning we are undead like them so what's uh dead like me main character what's her name my brain just shut off hold on my brain now just wants to say abigail and that's nowhere close to her name she's got a boy's name timmy what <laughs> peanut is what my brain wants to say because that's what i call her it was my like, name's I george george is not a boy's name yes it is her name's georgia lass See? george for short george George. And George is played by uh, Ellen Muth. She does a fantastic job. She, I mean, she does a whatever job. the character was, I she pulls it off, she, but she is, you just play the clip. She's, uh, she's unlikable. <laughs> That's me. I'd say I'm sorry to disappoint you, but I'm not. I excel at not giving a shit. Experience has taught me that interest begets expectation, and expectation begets disappointment. So the key to avoiding disappointment is to avoid interest. A equals B equals C equals A or whatever. I also don't have a lot of interest in being a good person or a bad person. From what I can tell, either way, you're screwed. She's cynical. She's not really even sassy. She's not like she's sarcastic in a really dry way. Yeah, it. I, jaded is the thing but unnecessarily jaded. Like it doesn't make sense as to why she has such a, I don't want to say pessimistic worldview, but she has such, it's the most negative. <laughs> this it's is someone that negative. came of age right in 9-11. You know, fair, 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 fair. But I would say I fall into, the, I think that's the interesting, we'll talk more about it, but I think it's interesting because I think there's in a lot of ways where it's like, yeah, my mindset is very similar to George's, but I don't present it that way. Yeah, she is. She's so like, like I said, cynical is the the best way to put it. She's she's mm. she's so unlikable. Like, um, to to people in the show and to me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like yeah, this is not someone I want to hang around with. This seems like a really toxic person. Oh, absolutely. Like, she's too toxic to live in this show, <laughs> and that's what happens. Like literally, she is someone so so toxic. Yeah, that you know, she just has to die and she's, not bother. You know, she's like, a bit of a plague to everyone around her. Yeah, you know. Uh, so like, we open up and and, and you, what is she doing? Like the first scene, what's 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 her her deal? She is at a temp agency waiting for a um, interview. Wow, I'm gonna say the whole thing again because my 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 talk was bad. She's at a temp agency waiting for an interview. Yes, and. Uh, I don't have the introduction of the next character, but she comes in. What's her name? Dolores Herbig. As in? Her big brown eyes. That's a line from the show. Is it Dolores? I don't know. Dolores feels right. <laughs> it's Herbig. I, even my, cli <laughs> my clip's just called Herbig. Um, but she's she's interviewing. The, she's getting an inter she's getting interviewed by this temp agency lady. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the, the temp agency is called Smiling Time or Happy Time. Happy Time. Why did you even come here, lady? So Georgia is clearly not ready for happy time. And uh, all of her answers are just, you know, short, unenthusiastic. And she's there talking to this really fake old lady who mm -hmm. works at this place who's like trying to put a smile on. And, and th this is the exchange that happens. I haven't seen you smile once since you set foot in this office. And a sunny disposition goes a long way in any line of work, especially here at happy time. Trust me. 
no employer is going to want a sad sack on their hands. Look at me. I certainly wouldn't have gotten as far as I have. How far is that? I beg your pardon? How far have you gotten? I mean, it's not like this is a corner office with a view. And, like, every day you have to find jobs for people, most of which are probably better than yours, and that has to suck. I bet they don't pay you much, either. Just making an observation. So it's like, that's that's Georgia in a nutshell right there. Like, it's almost like Daria. She kind of reminds me of Daria, but, like, you know, it, it, the 90s is over. You yeah. know, like, um, in some way, like, if... If Herbig was a little less likable, like Herbig's a little condescending, mm -hmm. a little bit. Yeah. But it's not so much for me to be like, yeah, you stick it to her. You yeah. Know? Like, Especially with the two seconds of knowing her. I feel really bad. Like, yeah. I feel like that was really cruel for her to say that to this poor woman, you know, okay. who's who's clearly just trying to make the best of it. <laughs> right. I'm like, as adults who work jobs that we love, coworker or boss who listens to this, yo, don't come and like, parse my nine to five down like that like what is wrong with you in the in the, the mighty words of andy brink brinker a job is what you leave. do it's not who you are leave <laughs> leave this podcast right now but yeah so it's like i think this was meant to be empowering mm -hmm. you know like georgia's you know she's seeing she's saying it like it is yeah you know? and I, maybe it's just this you know early 2000s angst or whatever i don't know yeah, I don't know. I think like you comparing it to Daria is interesting because I think when I go back and watch Dor Daria, she's so annoying. <laughs> Daria is so annoying. And I think it's because she's what a sophomore and life is so hard. Look, life can be hard for sophomores in, <laughs> in high school. They can be hard for five-year-olds. Absolutely. But the the way that she she's just really, really annoying being like, stop. What are you doing? And so is Georgia. My problem is where Daria feels like Occupy Wall Street. <laughs> um, should I take that out? No, that's fine. Okay. Uh, George feels like, even though she's only 19 and she's still living at home, we'll get there, um, and she's not doing anything else, she feels more like, yeah, yeah, the, the world does kind of suck. Like You can't say it like that if you want to survive. Uh, where I don't find her annoying, I just find her mm, rude and unlikable, but also just immature. Yeah. Well, and here's another thing. Like, you you meet her family, and I have a clip of the interest of her family in a second. Uh, but they live in a they live in a freaking mansion. Yep. In uh, what city are they in? In Seattle? Is that where they're supposed I to be? It, I think it's, it's filmed Seattle. in like Toronto, so yeah. it's like very Canada. But. Um, they got a house. They got like no, it's it's humongous. Five bedrooms on two a secretary secretary professor salary, which is ridiculous. But, right. Um, um, so she is clearly upper middle class, uh, privileged. You know, pampered her whole life, mm -hmm. and like, you know, woe is me type yeah. thing. So it's like it's hard to get behind her. Fair. She seems like a really like petulant person. Yeah. yeah. I know it sounds terrible, but there's not enough trauma to justify how she's acting. And like, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to get mad at Brian Fuller. I think he does a pretty decent job as far as the script goes. But like the script reads like a like I can feel I, I don't know his upbringing. I have mm -hmm. no idea. But it, I don't know. It feels a little like, you know, uh, undergraduate screenplay style. I don't mm -hmm. know, like more philo philosophical than it is. You know what yeah. I mean? It's trying to be more philosophical than it is. 
Yeah. I think it's also the 2003, right? Like edgy. Edgy, yeah. It's it's supposed to be like, it, that was the time period where this was in, right? And yeah. it just kind of pushes a little bit too hard. It's also a little bit, um, a lot of a man writing a girl, mm. which is why it's, you know, where it's just kind of like, mm, yeah, I guess this is how men think of young girls coming into adulthood, you know, plus from, be you know, it just, it kind of reads like someone's been rejected by a woman and this is their excuse. Oh, uh, no, I not, don't want to put that on. Him. No, no, no. I'm not saying it like, like that's who he is, but it feels like if you, um, it almost feels like the telling like that, you know, like where it's just kind of like, yeah. And she's da, 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 da. It's still like, it's the storyline and this person, but like, that's the levels of it's just like, who's acting like this? Who's legitimately acting like this? And it feels like an improper retelling of what, like I could see this character still be this way because there's so much voiceover that it could just be a lot of this is said in her head and she just quietly, she has the quiet, creepy stare down and she just <laughs> doesn't respond and she just makes people uncomfortable that way. And it's the same personality and the same takes without it being overtly um, whatever it is right now. I, I will say casting choice, uh, Ellen Muth does a good job mm -hmm. as this character. Like, I don't think... She has such a unique voice and style of acting that she really, like, I don't know, captures, I'm sure, what they were going for. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I Other agree. than maybe uh, Aubrey Plaza, uh, no one else could do this. I agree. And I also kind of don't think uh, Aubrey uh, would be able to do this either because it is a lot of deadpan. But the moments where, like, like when she's going through the stages of grief, there's a lot more emotion in that and a lot less of that toneless thing because it's like a real freak out. Yeah. Uh, and not that uh, Plaza can't do that. She hasn't necessarily been placed in a lot of roles that allow for that. Um, so maybe that's possible, but. Uh, also, we, we definitely missed the train on uh, Opti Plaza playing Daria. Yeah. If that wasn't in production at one point, someone, someone dropped the ball. <laughs> anyway. Uh, let's meet uh, George's family. I, I, how important is her family to the show overall? Very. Okay. Well, okay. So let's meet these people. Meet the family. Joy, age 41, is a Virgo. She's a career secretary and enjoys ice skating and John Grisham novels. She's pathologically afraid of balloons and hates the word moist. She thinks it's pornographic. Clancy, age 43, is a Cancer. He's a tenured professor of English at UW and is, I'm told, very well respected. He's having an affair with one of his graduate students. And that's Reggie. She's 10. She's not really invisible, but as far as I'm concerned, she may as well be. There you go. Mom, yep. Dad, and Reggie. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and there's like some like, I don't know what you describe this as, as like magical realism or, or like, I don't know, just like um, stylistic uh, choice where... For the whole scene until Reggie is introduced, she's sitting at the table and she's invisible. You can yeah, see her glasses. It's just glasses floating. Yeah. And it was just, to, I guess, represent that Georgia and her don't have a great relationship, mm -hmm. you know? And um, at some point in Georgia's life, like, she just, like, I'm just not going to have a relationship with my little sister. Yeah. Uh, which, you know, relatable, unfortunately. <laughs> it's kind of, that's kind of what I was like when I was a teenager Ugh. with my little sister, you know? Not great. No, it's just a way. Yeah. 
Yes, not, not, not to come up with excuses, but yeah. this is relatable. Yesterday, and, and your sad. sister showed me a picture of you guys, and she said verbatim, "This was when he liked me." Oh, and I was like, "He still likes you. He's just busy. Plan to hang out with your sister." Well, no, please. no, there was there was that point in the middle. I know, yeah, I know, I know. In the middle where it was, yeah, it's just there, there wasn't much of a relationship. Yeah, yeah, I know that's that's what she was referring to, but I was like, "Oh, okay, okay." Yeah, so yeah, a little <laughs> little close to home with this one, but anyway, yeah, her. Her mom and dad are troubled people. Her dad's having a relationship with a grad student, uh, which we see a little bit of, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> At the funeral. Yeah. Yikes. And uh, mom is uptight. Yep. And sister. Uh, she, she doesn't even speak in this episode. The sister? Yeah. You won't hear her speak for several episodes. Okay. <laughs> you won't hear her speak ever. Nope. Because I... <laughs> Never want to watch this show. <gasps> okay. Didn't sell me on it. Um. Anyway, this or tribe, which would you? Which would I? Which would I get you to watch? This or the tribe? I feel like the tribe would be funnier. <laughs> All right. Cool. I'm not watching the tribe. Uh huh. Sure. Um. So that's her family. <laughs> yep. And uh, like the the family stuff, especially with her mom. Like her mom, like wakes her up and says, "You're." You've got a job to do. You got to yeah. get up, you know, and then you're going to move out of my house. Mm -hmm. You know, and I was like, yeah, because George really is like a little entitled child. Yeah. Still living with her parents. She's 19 years old. She dropped out of college. She's lazy. Yeah. Doesn't want to get out of bed. Doesn't want to, you know, dr you know, dress nice for work. And her mom is going to have to dote her and get her to do this stuff. Yeah. I think the real problem with her, because, right, like we live now and people live with their parents because you really can't afford anything else. Um, but you are adding to the household when you do that, right? Or um, I think the the biggest issue, and I'm on Joy, the mom's side here. She is just as abrasive. Like, it's obvious that um, this is learned habits for George <laughs> and not necessarily all nature, you know? Yeah. Um, but, like, the thought of just having someone in your home doing things that you don't enjoy in the home you pay for and not doing anything, but just lying around. Right. She's like, a freeloader. She, I, I understand that George or, or that joy is like, no, you need to get out of this house so you can see what it really looks like to like have to earn what you've, what you've got. Right. Like I doubt well, they could have been handed this home, but upkeep and all these things that go into it you know like that is learned and experience and you don't never i i would hope a parent wouldn't want to just throw their child out into the wild and be like figure it out but some children you kind of have to yeah and and i i th there's a scene where uh george is at home and she's going to bed and the the narration is just kind of like reflecting on her life at the moment i described it as a quarter life crisis mm -hmm. because it's sort of like you're at that point in that juncture, you know, yeah. for her, she's 19. But, you know, most people like I feel like I experienced this a little bit in my mid 20s where it's mm -hmm. like life isn't going the direction I want it to. What am I supposed to do? You know, yeah. like what am I supposed to commit to for the rest of my life here? Right. Yeah. And, and I, I have a clip of that. When I was little, my mom told me Santa Claus didn't exist. Neither did the Easter Bunny, the Tooth Fairy or the Great Pumpkin. Even though she didn't say so specifically, I just sort of assumed God didn't either. Otherwise, I'd probably be praying right now. I'd pray for world peace, etc., and maybe even for a little guidance. 
I mean, do you know what it's like to be cusping on adulthood and not know who you are, what you want to be, or even if you want to be? It's ten shades of suck is what it is. There you go. I feel like, I mean, that's a little bit of character development on George's part. Yeah, I think that in this time alone is not necessarily the character development. I would say it's the core, right? Like she's lashing out because she's at this place where it's, you know, that thing that we always talk about, we as a generation, not we as you and I, um, where you're told you're a child, then you turn 18 and it's just like, figure it out. Here's some debt. Yeah, you can smoke. Yeah, you can vote. <laughs> no, you can't drink and go. Like, yep. it's a literally a day from I'm 17 and I'm still treated as a child and I'm seen as a child and all everything I do. And now 24 hours later, I'm an adult in every way that counts in society. And I need to make a decision right now as to what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. And that is scary, right? Like, and people have a lot of different reactions. Some people like fight, flight, flop, you know, where they're just like, um, I'm just going to sit here until something happens or I'm going to have someone arrange my life. Some people do as George do, right? Where they just fight again. Well, she's probably flopping more than anything yeah, else. <laughs> and, um, and I, I definitely get the heart of that. And even in this moment, right, where she's just kind of like looking at the grand expanse of life before her and the decisions that she's told that she is now capable of making and that she needs to just make and be like, not dog, like, I'm not prepared for this. I don't know. You're not giving me a second to breathe. So I think that even though she's super, super unlikable, I, this is why I was like, I would prefer her over Daria because like at the core and what is stripped away as you watch the show is this thing, this fear and everything else is a fear response for her. Yeah, I, I get what you're saying. You don't need to like her. <laughs> also, this uh, this scene, I think something about the writing is a little cringy. Oh, absolutely. Like the twelve shades of suck. That's what it is. You know, yeah. like it. Like I said, it it reads like an undergraduate script. You know, and I'm like, not not to throw shade at Brian Fuller, but yeah, something about the writing in this seems really cringy, and it might be just the time. You know, it, it's a reflection of the the style mm -hmm. of the early 2000s yeah. uh, or his experience level. But how old was he at this time? I, I don't know. Yeah. Probably in his I, 20s. Again, I think it goes back to like men writing women. And also this like, like this is the era of like American Pie and and TV or like stuff for teens that have like even Buffy where it's just like we're making up words because this is like colloquially colloquialism creation or whatever but i'm with you right it's just kind of like eh. <laughs> when when i was listening to it it was like okay i get what you're saying but whatever <laughs> i roll yeah but even like the the heartfelt stuff like you know i don't believe in god if i if i did i'd be praying right now like mm -hmm. it just seems kind of like on the nose mm -hmm. you know like pseudo philosophical pseudo okay. heartfelt it doesn't seem genuine mm -hmm. but also that's not george so whatever <laughs> whatever i appreciated the god thing i was like oh that's fair how somebody would see it. I I appreciated the like getting to it. Maybe not the like I would pray, but the like my mom told me the Easter Bunny and the Tooth Fairy. And so I just assumed God was in that role or like and I was like, that's sad, <laughs> but all right. Yeah. Um. So George goes to work. I don't have any clips of that because nearly not, it doesn't seem like all that important. It isn't. Did you get the clip of the last thing her mom said to her? No. <laughs> Eek. I wasn't it just like you're going to you're going to go to work and then you're going to get out of my house 
or I'll kill you. It's something along oh. those lines. And then it's like, these are the last words my mother will ever say to me. Eek. <laughs> Foreshadowing because George dies mm-hmm. that day on her lunch break. On her lunch break. They say your entire life flashes in front of your eyes the moment before you die. That might be true if you're terminally ill or your parachute doesn't open. But if death sneaks up on you, the only thing you have time to think is, oh shit. And Brian Fuller came up with one of the most, one of the least dignified ways for someone to die. Yeah. How does she die? Um, a toilet seat falls from the heavens from at mock speed. Is it from like a, a space station or um, from like an airplane? I think it's a space station. Like a space station toilet seat that like fell through the atmosphere. It was supposed to land in the ocean. Every other piece of the space station did, but the toilet seat landed on her forehead. Yeah, it just came down. A meteor struck her, but it was a toilet seat. Yep. And she she curses. That's her last words, <laughs> you know, and that dies. Uh, yeah. And so, like, I, you know, that, that's best, that's supposed to be funny. And it's a little funny. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. So everyone calls her toilet seat girl. Mm-hmm. Dead girl. Yeah. Um, that, that's the line of the, the pilot or whatever. <laughs> like, right. Dead girl. She gets introduced as dead girl because as soon as she dies, she's like, oh, I'm a ghost. You know, people are, like, running through her. And she, no one can see her mm-hmm. except for one person. Yeah. Two people, actually. Yeah, two. Hey, dead girl. Hold on there a minute. That's Rube. He's undead. This isn't happening. This isn't real. Oh, Peanut, this is as real as it gets. You're dead. That's Betty, also undead. This is yours. Mercy, that thing made a horrible noise, didn't it? What are you, like, angels or something? Oh, no, no, ma'am. <laughs> angels don't like getting their hands dirty. You know, uh, upper management types. We have the unfortunate distinction of being called Grim Reapers. There you go. Reuben, Betty, Grim Reapers. And they meet George. Mm-hmm. And they're like, we're going to reap your soul? Mm. Yeah. More or less. So I, that, I, I actually cut a lot of that. Yeah, yeah. I needed to introduce these two characters quickly. But uh, George goes through the uh, five stages of grief. Yeah. Which I guess also apply to dead people. She's like, you know, denies it. Like, this isn't happening. And then yeah. she and gets she's mad. I have so much life. I'm so young. Betty has the lines like, you weren't really doing anything with it. And she's like bargaining. Why don't you just take that homeless guy over there? He wasn't using his life. I won't tell anyone. <laughs> yeah. So uh, Rube and Betty are their Grim Reapers. Uh, Rube. Or some of them. For some reason, this is the only scene where Mandy Patinkin plays Rube like like a southern guy. Like, Lord mercy, look at that. That made a horrible noise. Like, yeah. I was like, what is that accent? Because when I went back, I was like, he doesn't talk like that the rest of the he episode. He does it, which is like, because every time, because right before I was like, oh, Rube, he's my favorite. Starts talking. I was like, Because mm. every other scene, <laughs> he sounds like a, like a mob boss. Yeah. You know, kind of like an Italian guy. And then yeah. here he's like, Lord mercy. It it was a lot. It's a lot. Uh, so he he was finding the character throughout the episode. We were, yeah, a little throughout. The, I think he kind of solidifies around like episode three or four, where you're like, "That's the voice. That's the attitude." And then Betty uh, is she will not be with us long. She, she's good lady. <laughs> she's kind of like a fashionista. Vain, yeah, vain. You know, even though she's dead, well, undead. Excuse me. Yeah. yeah. Um. 
which you see why because you get you do get background stories of all these uh reapers as the series goes on yeah. uh so there's reasons behind it but um yeah she's just kind of there like here's your name tag and uh yeah <laughs> i looked it up her name is like she's played by rebecca gayhart and mm-hmm. i was like where have i heard that name before and i looked it up she she was the lady who was cast as Inara. Inara in Firefly, but was replaced mid-pilot. <laughs> yeah. And they filmed all her scenes and just cut them out. Like, yeah. uh, uh, Joss Whedon purposely shot her in singles. single solo so they could easily cut her out. <laughs> it's a rude move. And she's Whedon. not going to be staying with this show much longer either. Mm. Right? Yeah. She leaves within the season. Her character's not that interesting. It's not, but she's just kind of there to show her the ropes more than anything else. Yeah, yeah. And they're, to have... they're both exposition machines yeah. in this episode. Yeah. And I think that, like, Rube is my favorite. I like him a lot. Uh, because he, he does a good job. He does do a good job. And he's very much just the the one like, nah, dog. <laughs> he's <laughs> he's sarcast- the stern hand that she needs. He's sarcastic in the way he's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Like, he sounds sarcastic, whereas George is like, dry sarcastic yeah you know he's entertaining yeah 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 like he's cynical and it's just like yeah this is my job now mm-hmm. you know and i'm just gonna like whatever and we're gonna push on through he's like the foreman of the 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 undeads yeah you know or or the <laughs> the supervisor yeah he's just he's the boss he's management here <laughs> yeah so he he manages a group of grim reapers in the city who have to do their job yeah and and the first part of the episode like Rube is basically there to foster George mm-hmm. as as the the family puts her body to rest. Yeah. Um. So like you know he he attends her funeral and George is just kind of there as a ghost observing her funeral. Yeah. Um. And we we learn a little bit about uh I, I call them the undead rules. Mm-hmm. How come they can see you but they can't see me? Well, Peanut, you're dead. So are you. Bite your tongue. I'll have you know I am undead. What's the difference? Well, as an undead person, I have certain rights and privileges. For instance, I have a physical body. I can enjoy the sweet deliciousness of this tasty key lime pie. And if I so choose, I can even interact with the living. Observe. Uh, how do you do, sir? Fine. So you can't do that. That sucks. Well, for you dead type, sure, but uh, I like it. It keeps a riffraff in its place. Who is at a funeral and says to a stranger, uh, how do you do, sir? Fine. <laughs> like, that was that's my favorite line of the whole show. How do you do, sir? Fine. <laughs> just, that guy's just done with it. Um this is the scene where I was like, Rube like is really fun to listen to. He is. You know, I could listen to that guy talk forever. Yeah. Um so He does a lot of talking in the show. <laughs> I'm totally down with that. Um and so you learn a little bit about the Grim Reaper role because very soon after we learn that George is to be one. Yeah. So what's next? Onward and upward? Onward, not upward. No pearly gates for you. No choirs of angels, neither. You dick, you sending me to hell? Don't flatter yourself, you're not that interesting. You little dead girl are gonna be a Grim Reaper. Huh? Hundreds and thousands of people die every day. Bodies are easy. Take a ditch, light a match. But what about the souls? Who takes care of them? We do. We're bail bondsmen for the disembodied. 
See, once their souls ditch the fleshy parts, they're in our custody until they reach their final destination. Yep. And yep. Uh, George is going to join their ranks. Mm-hmm. Like, She's got a job immediately yeah, after die. Exactly. And we learn a little bit about, like, that. that's something I appreciate about, appreciate about this show is, like, it has an interesting lore. Mm-hmm. You know, like, the rules of undead, like, are interesting. Yeah. You know, and they have their own flavor of what you would consider, like, you know, rules of Grim Reapers. Mm-hmm. So... For them, it's like every Grim Reaper has an unspecified allotment of souls they need to collect before they're allowed to move on to the next stage, get a promotion. Mm -hmm. So I'll just let Rube explain it. All right. Rube. Everyone's assigned an unspecified allotment of souls to collect. Now, you don't know how many until you've nabbed the last one. Do you remember that weird guy who asked you your name right before you got torpedoed by the toilet seat? Yeah. Well, you were his last one, which means he gets a promotion. Nice benefits package. And you take his place. There you go. And that's why. So it's, you know, whoever your last soul is, they're the one who's going to take your place. Yep. And so poor George was unlucky. Luck of the draw. Yep. She probably would have gone to hell, though. (laughs) (laughs) She's not that interesting. She probably, you know. (laughs) We can't make judgments. We only saw one day of her life. (laughs) <laughs> she she wasn't doing a lot yeah not doing a whole lot she wasn't doing a lot um yeah and so she immediately is like cool i've always wanted a job right i don't think so i don't think she wants to do this at all no she does not <laughs> she does not even a little bit but she has no choice no none so, yeah and so they they kind of like show her the ropes and we learn more about like the rules of this world mm-hmm. uh, I, I have a few clips that we can move into what do, what do you want to do like just you know what what eccentricities about being undead are there um people see you but they don't see the you that you were before you were dead you are granted a new f- form oddly enough yep this is what we look like to the living Holy shit. Of all the things that go with being undead, this one freaked me out the most. Who decides what we look like? I don't know. Maybe this is what our inner child looks like when it grows up. If that were the case, it looked like my inner child's road to adulthood was paved with crack cocaine, $10 blowjobs, and maybe even a trick baby or two. You think she's pretty? Mm. Not as pretty as you. I should have said thank you. I wanted to say thank you. I wanted to smile and flirt and giggle. But instead I said, whatever. One rude thing to say about that actress. <laughs> yeah. Well, they definitely like made her look more pallid and like, yeah. you know, gave her, whoever was whoever the actress was playing like what George looks like to everyone else. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, they made her look really pale and, yeah. and like kind of sickly. Limp hair. Yeah. Yeah, same for the dude she's talking to, which is another of the Grim Reapers. Yeah, yeah, so we, we, we didn't introduce him. His name's Mason. Mm-hmm. Hey, what's up, pussycat? Hey, man. George, this is Mason. Mason. Oh, Mason, Mason, Mason. Mason, George. Hey. Does this cracker have to stop and talk to every... You just judge me. Now, why you gotta go and do that, man? That's rude. It's disrespecting the dead. Come here. You two just murdered each other in a crack den. You do not deserve my respect, hence... Shh. That's cold, man. Mm-hmm. George died a week ago in a freak aerospace accident. Yeah. Yeah, I remember you. Toilet seat girl. 
Look, you already got yourself a nickname. Is is there like a romantic thing between George and Mason? No. It's only in this episode? It's not even romantic. It's, it's a little bit like... He's a flirt. He's a flirt. He does it with everyone. Okay. He's yeah. Like, not as pretty as you. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. She seems a little interested. She has had very little interaction with anyone that is positive. So, ooh boy. Okay, so yeah, that, this, <laughs> that goes nowhere then. Yeah, right, no. Got it. It, it seemed like this episode was establishing that, like. Mm, no. <laughs> there you go. Um, And I appreciate that. I appreciate that it's not like, oh, there's a love interest. It's like, there's a lot going on. We aren't, that's, no. <laughs> uh yeah so yeah mason is one of the the main characters that we'll see a lot in this series um and even in this episode he helps her out with something that is another kind of uh grim reaper role like helps her figure out how to live yeah because he goes hey she needs a place to stay yeah my you probably don't have this clip but my favorite line that rube says in this whole thing is right here where she, where he's walking away he's like i love you peanut but you're driving me crazy yeah i thought i had that oh did you no uh, no nope, i guess i don't um yeah so he mason takes rube to an apartment that he knows about what right no? does not take rube <laughs> <laughs> so mason takes george to an apartment he knows about so that she can stay Mm-hmm. And this is where we learn, how, you know, what the, the, the undead do when they need a place to stay. Yeah. The bills are paid until when? Until someone closes the account. Meantime, you squat. As in? As in settling on property without right or title or payment of rent. Reapers are squatters? Think of it as subsidized housing. We perform a public service, don't we? The living probably don't think so. What if someone shows up? You walk away. Unless you trash your place, then you run away. So how does this work? I just crash here? Yeah, more or less. Do I get keys? If you can find them. And then she stumbles into a room that is full of dead bodies because the the, the prior occupants of this apartment uh, were murdered. Yes. Yes. In some kind of like mob hit or something. Many, many. All of them hit. All of them. Yep, they're all like tied up and like, you know, like firing squad style, just shot in the head. Yeah. Uh, she's like, oh my gosh, this is horrible. I got to live with these people. And it's like, yep. You're like, oh, they're just bodies. Like, what? what, what, what? She is not that jaded yet. <laughs> yeah. And Mason's like totally down to just like, you know, empty their pockets for money and watches and things. Yeah. And she's looking for her, the keys to the apartment because it's a nice apartment. Mm-hmm. It's really big. It's like a penthouse. Um, <laughs> And, and we learn about how the undead make their money. Um, not that I'm any great bastion of morality, but isn't stealing from dead people kind of tacky? Well, it's over this. You'll get yourself a day job. He's not joking. The U.S. government doesn't provide food stamps for Grim Reapers. We don't have special bus passes, and we don't get into movies for free. Most Reapers take what they can from the dead. Others get day jobs. Do I need to be crossing over or passing on or something? You ain't going nowhere until I fill my quota. Jasmine Guy! That is the only clip I have from the character. What's her What's her name? Do you know? Mm, I can look it up. Roxy. Roxy. So Jasmine Guy, who, remember, she played uh, Whitley in the show. Uh, 
Whitley. What, what was that show called? Uh, different Strokes? What? No. 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 A Different World. Different World. <laughs> a Different World. Well, we, t- we talked about that in the 1987 TV episode. So mm-hmm. almost 20 years, 15 years from, from Whitley. And she still looks so good. Yeah, she looks the same. Like, yeah. yeah. Yep. Ta- take care of your skin. Yeah, Jasmine Guy. <laughs> Uh, who she we we she doesn't have a whole lot to do in this episode. Is she like a big character yes. later on? Okay, absolutely. Yeah, but this episode she doesn't get a whole lot to do. But she's a she's a meter maid. That's mm-hmm. her day job. But she's also a groom reaper. Yeah. And so that was her like she had some soul in her meter maid cart, <laughs> saying like, and she's like, I'll get you. I'll do that part. That is my second job. My first job, so that I can pay rent, is this one. So shut up. Yeah. So they, you know, Jasmine guy shows up at Roxy. Shows up at breakfast when all the Grim Reapers get together to figure out what their their jobs are for the day or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, every day, that's what they do. They go to the they go to the diner. Rube tells them what their job is that that day, and then they go do it. Yeah, who their job is that day. Yeah, and so again, I, I appreciate all of the little like world building mm-hmm. that this show does because it is interesting how you know yeah think of, like. Think about it logically. You've got Grim Reapers. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they have to s- stick around on Earth uh, and harvest the souls of dead people, you know. Right. Uh, how do they make their money? How do they live? You know, and it's like, yeah, they can either steal f- from dead people because they deal with that's their business. Yeah. Or they work and do this on the side. These are our options. And there's one more piece of world building um, like the supernatural doesn't play a whole lot into this series or this episode, at least. Um, but we do learn one more supernatural thing about death in this uh, in this episode. And death is caused by gravelings. They're not. It's not caused by them. So do you guys get off dropping pianos on people? I mean, is that like a fetish or something? It's not our job to drop the pianos or the toilet seats. Whose job is it? Gravelings. Bravelings? Are they invisible? No, they're not invisible. Just can't see them. Not when you're looking right at them anyway. But sometimes when something's about to happen or just happen, yeah, you might catch a glimpse of one of them out of the corner of your eye. So just don't freak out. But they're real. Yeah, afraid so. Um, they set things in motion. They they make the accidents happen. They kill people? It's like life and death. They have to exist in perfect harmony. Yin and yang, call it what you want, but that balance has to be maintained. Or else? Or else things get out of hand, and that ain't pretty. Okay, so maybe they do kill people. They do. <laughs> he's, he's, you know, he's trying to... Uh, Make it less scary for the new little girl. Yeah. Uh, but Gravelings, like, they're like this gremlin... Like mm-hmm. They're like ghostly gremlins that yeah. show up whenever someone's about to die and they might move something here and there to, to cause the accident to happen. Yeah. If it's caused by an accident, which is what they, these particular, they do talk about it later, right? There's all, or they talk about it in the episode. There's all a lot of different ways that death happens. Yeah. Uh, and the particular, there are more than just these five reapers in this city but the department that they handle is accidental deaths yes or out what is it out outsourced deaths or something like that so it's accidents and some murders as well got it like so it's not like natural two (gasps) two people killing each other in a in a crack done yes 
accidental death. Okay, yeah, I, I, I missed that part. Oh, okay, yeah. That makes sense, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you'll, well, you're not going to see it, but there, are, you run into other departments and different things like that that take care of other stuff. It's not just, there's too, like, if you think only five people die in a city <laughs> a day, because that's really, like, each of them get one soul to collect. No, sirs. Yep. Yep. Uh, so, um, Mason actually takes George out on his job that day just to show her what happens. And uh, mm -hmm. they go to a bank, and the scene is introduced like this. As the fly upon the wall, observe, do not interact. That's very zen of you. You must smoke pot. <sighs> Seriously. Some reapers believe that your appointment with death is on the books before you're even born. What if they don't make the appointment? <laughs> oh, I don't know that one. All I'm saying is don't turn up and start moving shit around and talking to people because you, you might change the outcome of events. Treat it like a retroactive crime scene. You stick to the sidelines and look for high-risk factors. An important note is that when they are handed the name, it is just a first initial and a last name. Or is it the first name and the last initial? No, first, it's first initial, last name. So yes. it's like... We don't even know who we're killing today. Yeah. Is it a man? Is it a woman? Or And even as they look around, they'll be like... Mm, I think they may sort of know who might have the names, but that's also why at the very beginning when George uh, gets taken, the stranger, the weird, creepy stranger asks her name like, oh, George, what's your last name? What's your middle name? And it's almost to assure, especially if you're trying to like make sure, because there are two different ways. To, there are ways that people do it uh, because they do, if they know it's going to be a traumatic death, um, the cur the thing of courtesy to do, which Rube says, is to pop the soul out early so they don't experience it. The, the so, impact, yeah, yeah. So you learn that early on, right? As right before, or, sorry, right after George dies, mm -hmm. she's like, "I didn't even feel it." Yeah, we did that. Yeah, as a courtesy. Yeah, right. But when um, Roxy uh, collects her soul, a woman literally gets a piano th thrown on her, and she just lets it happen and then finishes her job of giving a ticket and then goes and pops the body out. So, and Ruby's like, it's kind of not all right, but I can't make her do it differently. Yeah. So you, people tend to try to ask, you know, or figure out like, is this the right person? Cause we don't want to like pop the soul out of a person who is still going to be alive. Does that happen? Can that, ha does that happen in the show at any point? Popping the soul out of someone who didn't, wasn't supposed to die. Maybe we should watch the show. I'm no. not sure. Okay. Well, there you go. I'm not sure. Um, possibly. But the way Mason describes it is like treat it like a crime scene, but in reverse. Mm -hmm. That seems like a good way to have the show kind of be like a procedural, you know, like yeah. almost, you know, I'm I'm sure the, it doesn't quite shake up like this, but every episode is a different case, I guess. Yeah. 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 You could say that. And then that in, in this elements. episode, it's I, I don't have any clips from this scene because it, it's a wild it's scene. It's a wild one. And I don't want to give it away if you are interested in this show, I guess, you know, spoil it. But it takes place at a bank. They don't know who the dead person is. They just have initials uh, and wackiness ensues. Yeah. And they're like, oh, man, any of these people could die. Any of them. Yeah. And at one point, they're like, are you sure only one person is going to die? It's a lot. Right. And that's actually the last clip I have. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, so the funny thing is, like, as the, the, this episode of Media Made, my show had a th had three-minute episodes. Mm. This show, it's an hour and a half. Yes, so just the first episode. It's feature pilot. length, this this pilot, mm -hmm. you know, and I, one, don't think we have time to talk about a full 
90 minutes. Yeah. Uh, and also, I didn't want to give away the last act yeah. of the pilot because if you are interested in the show, uh, it's interesting, <laughs> I guess, you know. <laughs> I, I didn't want to spoil it. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. It, it deals with George's first kill. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Her first solo. Right. And, and I, you know, it's kind of like how George confronts having to take someone's soul away. You yeah. Know, who's about to die, who probably doesn't deserve it. Yeah. Yeah. Doesn't. No, definitely. Like, definitely. She, she's she her first kill is someone who definitely does not deserve to die. Yeah. Uh, but, in the, yeah. And George feels bad. And mm-hmm. it's like, how how does a Reaper deal with that? Yeah. You know, I don't want to take this person's soul. I don't want to kill them. Yeah. I want to save them. Yeah. Well, you can't. Or can she? She can't. But you she should can't. watch the episode anyway. Anyway, that is, I think, Dead Like Me. That's the first is, episode. Is there anything else you want to talk about for the show? I mean, it, I like... Because you keep like, I kind of want to say stuff about what happens moving forward, but I want, definitely want the kids to give it a chance if they want to. But if you watch the first episode and you're like, oh, well, you know, the first episode, I think you put it well on purpose or on accident. It's a lore dump. It is a lore dump. More than anything else. So almost none of the the story and character growth elements are in the first episode. There are some. There are like a little bit. strands. But um, when you're like, is her family even important? I'm like, yes. <laughs> like, what? Like, there is a whole thing, which in the second episode they talk about, so I don't feel, like, bad about saying it, which is um, she keeps going because you didn't get this clip, but she went to a yard sale her mom was having at their yeah. home selling off her stuff because her mom is – we all deal with grief in different ways, and her mom is grieving. But George is a piece of crap and is like, you're selling my stuff, but shows up. Not looking like her, but like having all and having these interactions, which are clearly like upsetting. The and there's a whole arc where like Rube is like, "What are you doing? No, you do not contact your family. You don't have. You drop all things." And George listens really well. Obviously, she does <laughs> not go there, but like the strain of of her being like, "Well, even though she was like, you didn't when you're like, you didn't even like your family, but you." Now that you're separated, right? Like, had she moved out, it would have had the same effect of her, like, feeling more, like, wanting to be closer to her family. But now she's, like, separated from them. So she's, like, I mean, I could just befriend them. I don't even look like myself. I could still be both. And it, the psychological damage, that like, that is haunting your family, right? Yeah. And then her younger sister, where she, like, did not care, didn't see her. Her sister worshipped her on a level of uh helga to arnold oh wow um and it was just like that because like she's quiet and stuff but mom and dad are always like this and she always thought like george was so cool and would speak her mind and even though i have to like dress up like this and do this because like i'm a child and mom makes me like one day i'll be like and so she like so when she george in her like new body is like coming around or doing stuff she like doesn't recognize that's my sister but she's like there's something about her and then these worlds are colliding and there are things that are happening. And this little girl is at places where people are dying indiscriminately and, and things like this. So the family is really important. And there's a lot of like, also her like fault running into her dad cheating. And like, what do you do about that? Like these people don't know you and you're acting weird or having a relationship with her dad, just like in general, like, Oh, I want to get closer. But he's also like, Oh, who's this girl who like is all up and maybe her dad, like, it's a lot. It's a lot of stuff that she has to deal with that while also like 
in having this job, like kind of getting back that humanity we don't really see in her, like her having to care about people. Because at first, like when we see her at first, she's just kind of like, yeah, I don't care. Your job sucks. Why do I have to be here? I just want to sleep in my bed to like having the lives of people in your hands and trying hard not to care about the lives, not to look at them, not to see what you're taking them from, but like the growth in that. So there's a lot in this show, right? Like she is so unlikable at the beginning and there's a point to that because having a soft hearted character die and then come into this, that's a boring show. It's a boring show. Where What kind of growth can you get from that? Yeah, I see that. I mean, she doesn't get perfect. <laughs> nope. <laughs> but yeah. Next logical question. Would you recommend? Yeah, Dead like absolutely. Me? I would. Um, it is HBO. So sometimes Showtime. there are scenes. It is Showtime. So sometimes there are scenes where um, people are making love. <laughs> so close your eyes. Um, uh, but otherwise and like they're discussing this like but it's i think it's a good i think it's a good show is it the best show out there is it the be- the show to have done this best no but i really do enjoy it and i think it's cool show didn't move me to want to watch more but you know if what we talked about sounds interesting i, I don't think there's any harm in giving it a shot and saying yeah this show's for me or it's not for me yeah you know, watch the pilot yeah. treat it like a movie you know it's yeah, it's get 90 some popcorn it's 90 minutes long. Just watch the first episode and you're like, if you're drawn into the universe, keep going. And if you're not, you're not. <laughs> That's fair. That being said, it is the better of the shows we watched. Bah. No. <laughs> well, we'll talk about that in a little bit. Uh, but what did the world think of Dead Like Me? The ratings for Dead Like Me's premiere were 1.11 million viewers. A record for a Showtime premiere that would not be beaten until the premiere of Shameless save seven years later. Shameless is a good show. Just kidding. Don't watch Shameless. (laughs) The show's complete ratings were not released, though executives claimed to at least one reporter that Dead Like Me had ratings three times Showtime's primetime average. So according to executives, Dead Like Me was a hit on Showtime. Absolutely. I believe those executives. Why would they lie? Dead Like Me's pilot received a lukewarm reception. IGN, for example, said, quote, the best pilot episodes get you hooked from the start. Wanting to see subsequent episodes right away. The worst pilot episodes are completely unwatchable and devoid of entertainment value. The Dead Like Me pilot lies somewhere in the middle. (laughs) (laughs) The New York Times said, quote, The trick is somehow to create a work that feels fresh and organic. This is the final trick that Dead Like Me doesn't pull off. And SF Gate, despite seeing the show as derivative of HBO's Six Feet Under, said, quote, Dead Like Me balances melancholy with predominant humor in a believable smart fashion they also said quote showtime is making great strides in this series in particular deserves a wide audience okay so you know varying opinions oddly that does make me want to watch at least the first two episodes of six feet under (laughs) following the pilot the show garnered strong reviews with praise going to the writing tone and humor la times for example called it quote smartly written and urbane tender without being sappy and rich and wonderfully dark twisted wit Many criticized Dead Like Me's main character, George, (laughs) with Rotten Tomatoes critics consensus noting the series, quote, deficit in likable characters. It's not. They're not wrong. (laughs) Seattle P.I., for example, said, quote, not even this, referring to the derivative afterlife plot, is the show's failing. However, that lands squarely on the hunched shoulders of the girl navigating the story or rather her persona. 
You have to like the ghosts leading you into the beyond. And Muth's character makes that almost impossible. When George isn't frowning or morosely staring at people, she's whining and bemoaning her lot. And that gets old by episode two. You can agree. I think it grows better. And that's my p- position. <laughs> Dead Like Me's pilot was nominated for two Emmy Awards for Outstanding Music Composition for a Series and Outstanding Visual Effects for a Series. Mm. And that is it for... Visual Effects. Do you remember the Toad? Oh, <laughs> yeah. There, there's some like CG Toads jumping around because Toads like represent like life and death. There's a Toad God. and a Frog. There's two different things. But yes, it's not good. Uh, but the, and the graveling, the gravelings look okay. Mm-hmm. They're like CG gravelings that crawl around. They look okay. Yeah, <laughs> we've seen way worse. We have seen way worse. And where did Dead Like Me go from here? Dead Like Me ran for two seasons of twenty nine episodes. I mean, you you kind of mentioned a few things that happened later on in the series. Any mm-hmm. other standout moments? Um, honestly. They, there's a lot because all of the Reapers, you get a sense of, you get some like flashbacks of what their life was before and why they are, are like the way they are. And then some of them are just kind of like, Mason died in the 1800s, I think. Like he's been doing this for a while. <laughs> yeah. If you, if you look at the Wikipedia article, you see like character bios, like, yeah. you know, and, and they all have like their life and death dates. Yeah. Or their birth dates mm-hmm. and, and their death dates all written down. So. Yeah, some like I think like Betty died in the 30s or something. Yeah, yeah, and so like they, I think it's really interesting all the like moments where you really get to see how they ended up here and have that flushed out. Yeah, it's kind of proto Lost in a way because Lost was w- way into the flashbacks. Yeah, so interesting. interesting. Who did it first? Dead like me. Dead like me. <laughs> Series creator Brian Fuller left Dead Like Me early season one due to conflicts with MGM Television, including disagreements over major script and storyline cuts considered important to the main theme. He stated, quote, lack of professionalism made it really difficult. It was like being at war. They were constantly trying to strong arm me. It was the worst experience of my life. (laughs) He retreated back to Star Trek. Well, that's not true. He actually he actually did quite a lot. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um. In a separate interview, he said, quote, it was like, oh, my gosh, let's do this great show. And then actually, no, we're not going to do this show that you pitched and that you wanted to do. We are going to do a radically different version of that show. And while that was happening, I was developing Wonderfalls with Todd Holland. So I was like, F this noise. <laughs> and he went off to do uh, Wonderfalls, which I'd never heard of. Me neither. Dead Like Me was canceled after the second season by Showtime, which cited the show's poor ratings. This reason immediately garnered skepticism by the press as it contradicted then recent statements by the network concerning the show's strong ratings. Hmm. So we were all getting mixed signals from Showtime. Like, did the show have good ratings or bad ratings? And they canceled it and they said, well, it had bad ratings, (laughs) even though like a month before it had good ratings. Good, not great. So cancel. Yeah. So we have we don't we don't know why Dead Like Me was canceled. But a direct-to-DVD sequel film titled Dead Like Me, Life After Death was released on February 17th, 2009. Have you seen that? No. An exclusive television debut occurred January 16th, 2009 on Super Channel in Canada. Oh. Uh, the film also has been shown in the United States on Sci-Fi. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, they, they got a lot of the cast back because Showtime was like, we're going to start making movies based on our hit TV shows, including <laughs> Dead Like Me. It was the first one. Which was a hit. 
And that's why it was canceled. <laughs> Dead Like Me kicked off the so-called Fullerverse, the shared universe of shows created or developed by Brian Fuller. Okay. Which includes Wonder Falls, Pushing Daisies, Hannibal, and the television special Mockingbird Lane. Don't know what that is, but Hannibal is quite surprising. Dead Like Me characters Georgia Lass and Reggie Lass, her sister, played by Ellen Muth and Britt McKillen, respectively, were reinterpreted as respective Hannibal characters, Georgia Madchen and Miriam Lass, both played by their original actresses. That's cool. Yeah, so they, they like they've basically been George and Reggie, Reggie in Hannibal. Huh. And then like there are other connections, like I guess Happy Time Temp Agency has appeared in other shows that huh. Fuller has made. That's so, interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's a Fuller verse out there, just That's like there's cool. a Whedon verse. That's cool. I get that. Like, I feel like if I was writing stuff that and I just needed to pull something, I'd like, okay, I already have this fool business in my head. We're just going to say it's over here. And it sounds like he he enjoyed working with these people. So yeah. brought him back. That's dead like me. That's dead like me. All right. Going back to the. Me. The assertion. Dead like me. Dead like me wins. I think it's Star Wars, man. You think wrong. Like Star Wars, Clone Wars, I think is an, an immaculate television show like i know it's short like it's little bits and pieces but it is it's a work of art (laughs) i want you to know the internet's gonna agree with you because the internet knows star wars and likes star wars but you're wrong and the better show is dead like me i'm like i know that star wars is like you know it's a media tie-in you know it's there to like you know write off the movies but like clone wars is better than attack of the clones like the movie you know, like this, this is a TV show that's way better than the movie. It spawned it. Um, the art is amazing. The, the, the writing and tone and um, just everything about it is just like artfully done. Yeah. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm saying it is really good. It is really, really good. Dead Like Me is better. All right. Well, you, Dev, we're, we're, we're splitting that star in half. <laughs> uh, you can help settle the score on Twitter and on Instagram at Media Made Show. I will be taking no votes that say... The wrong answer. So with that said, uh, what's next? Runners up? Yeah, if you want to. Do it. Okay. Well, for you, if we were not watching Warring Stars clones, we could have been watching. Oh, I, but by the way, this is like, I think we, we alluded to this in the last segment, but it's like, I'm watching a lot of TV in 2003. Yeah. Jess is not. Yeah. <laughs> you, maybe you should go first. Mm, no, no, no. Okay, go ahead. I always go last. Uh, we could have been watching Viva La Bam. <laughs> yeah, so we we talked about uh, a certain MTV stunt show for the 2000 episode of Media Made, mm-hmm. um, starring Bam Margera, Steve-O, Johnny Knoxville. You know that show. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that show was such a success, but also MTV did not want to air it because it was too controversial. So they ended up giving its stars spinoff shows instead. Yeah. And Viva La Bam was one of those shows starring Bam Margera and his crew, the CKY guys. Yeah. And it is about them causing mischief in Westchester, Pennsylvania. And uh, I, that, that was what like got me into MTV. Me mm. and my friend Derek watched a bunch of that. And, and this show is like really bad now. Yes. I've, I've gone back and watched Viva La Bam. It's bad. It is. It's, it's clearly staged. Um, it, okay. it is... Uh, That's what's bad about it? Well, not just that. And like, you know, uh, Bam Margera is a volatile person. Like even still today. Yeah. You know, we're still seeing the the aftermath of Bam Margera's like 
time in the limelight. This show ruined him. Yeah. And, and like, he's, he's like, the problem is, like, he indulged in every bad behavior while making these shows. And now he's living with the, the aftermath of it. Mm-hmm. His body's broken. His relationships are broken. He has addictions and, and problems with the media. I think he has mental health issues. Like, yeah, I don't know anything about current Bam Regera. Um, I do know I may have caught in, caught a third of an episode in my life, and I said, "This is stupid. This is not for me. Why are the parents still letting him live at? I cannot." And I turned it off. And I feel like I was thirteen at the time. He he is Ugh. he is the Logan Paul of two thousand three. Wow. Like he that that's what it is. Like he's he's just as annoying and abrasive and disruptive as the Paul brothers are today. Yeah. Yikes. Yep. I also don't know anything about the Pauls because <laughs> I was just like, oh, that's not for me. That looks stupid. It is. It is. And <laughs> so, like, you know, he was a. this show was, I'm sure, appealing to young tweens and whatever, you know, naughty teenagers. And like you when you watched it through the first yeah, time. I didn't want to be him, but it was fun but, to see him like do prank wars with his friends or like, you know. Do, drive like sports cars through Iceland or whatever, oh but yeah, no, no, this show's horrible. Like the, the no, no one's likable in this show. No, you know, except for like his parents. You know, like Phil Margera, you just feel bad for him in April. You know, that's it. Hey, don't watch the don't don't watch Viva Bam. It's bad. Don't watch Viva Bam. But continuing in the Jackverse. Yep. Wild Boys. Wild Boys is the better spinoff. Yeah, I definitely watched episodes of Wild Boys. Like so, if I saw it on, that would be the only thing I watched on MTV unless they had like a music video block. I'd be like, oh, Wild Boys. I'll watch that. That is a show starring Steve-O and, and Chris Pontius where they basically travel to different um, places around the world. And it's sort of like a travel log with two idiot Americans. Yeah. Really. And like, yeah, they do a little bit of stunts, but it's mostly like them experience kind of like the weird cultures that they inhabit but like they're they're dumb americans who are down for anything yeah you know and like they they end up getting themselves in situations where they're like interacting with exotic animals and Mm -hmm. you know drinking exotic drinks and foods you know going to the hospital for many many bites yeah uh and so they got like a it's it's like half travelogue half nature show but with two idiots. Yeah. And it's very entertaining. It's way better yeah, than Viva absolutely. La Bam. It's the better spinoff. I'm pretty sure when we did the Jackbutt episode, we I, I I was like, I have to wash my brain. And we watched an episode of Wild Boys. And I was like, this is much better. <laughs> and uh, at, at that point, like, even even Johnny Knoxville just decides to be on the show because it sounds like so much fun. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that show's way better. Yeah. I, I mean, if you don't like that type of show, you probably wouldn't like Wild Boys either. But yeah, I I think it's I think it's better than the actual show, yeah, the original show, yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's the best of that grouping, mm-hmm. Wild Boys, <laughs> the Jackverse, <laughs> yeah, excellent. The Jackverse, back to cartoons, Teen Titans. Hey, Good Teen show. Titans, great show. Not Teen Titans Go is not the one that we're talking about, nope. obviously, because this is two thousand three. <laughs> yeah, Teen Titans, the original, the OG. Yeah, it, that show was really good and. I feel like I, I always wanted to continue watching it because it was almost serialized at one mm-hmm. point where they actually started to like get into like like this Beast plot. Boy became like a really big character. Yeah. You know, and stuff like that. And Raven and her daddy issues. <laughs> yeah. And, and Robin turned he, he broke bad for a little while. Yeah. And all that stuff was interesting. But like because it was hard to watch Teen Titans in order on terrestrial television, um, I, I, I like I would miss episodes and get lost. Yeah. In yeah, the yeah. continuity. Um, but that show, it was really good. It was, it was, a, really, it was good. a really, really good cartoon show. Yeah. This was back, like, that I think also aired on Cartoon Network. Yeah, Cartoon did. Network was 
the best yeah. kids network at this time. Top tier. Yeah, because it was airing all the anime that you were watching too. Yep. <laughs> uh, and finally, Red versus Blue. Oh, is that our? No, it's not our first web series that no. we've mentioned. We've talked about Homestar Runner before, but Red versus Blue is a web series created in the video game Halo. So Halo debuted in 2001. Mm -hmm. it, it's an art form known as machinima. Basically, the creators of Red vs. Blue mm -hmm. got out their capture cards and they used Halo to almost like puppets. Like imagine the characters in Halo, like your little guys, like yeah. your, your, your little soldiers in armor. They are like puppets and you are controlling the puppets with your controller, you know, and they're filming their Halo characters right. as if they were characters in a TV show and they are, you know, doing voiceover and doing scenarios. And it's a it is a web show created in Halo with a story and with characters and with writing and stuff like that. Um, it, it was revolutionary for its time. Mm -hmm. And I got into Red vs. Blue in high school and it was like I couldn't get enough because <laughs> I was big into Halo. All my friends were really big into Halo. Yeah, yeah, so it was yeah. Like yeah. the big Halo Three and Halo Two, the biggest video games in the world. So, Red versus Blue was was a lot of fun, and uh, yeah, uh, it, it went on too long. <laughs> if, if Red versus Blue had uh, had ended in season five or whatever, you know, uh, I would that would, would be, be show. my show because yeah. I've seen it. Four, five, six times over, you know, it, from all, season one to season five. Yeah, but it just kept going. I think it's still running to this day. Yeah, you know, and like they're in whatever Halo Five, whatever the most recent Halo is. Mm -hmm. uh, and you know, I dropped out of Halo after four. <laughs> I think there, no, no, there's a new one. Halo Infinite just came out or whatever. Yeah. See, I'm I'm so out of Halo, <laughs> and I'm out of Red vs Blue. Well. Anyway, Red vs Blue, incredible show for its time for for a teenage boy. Cute. What do you got? For me, if we weren't watching Dead Like I, the only other thing that I have on my list is a Korean drama called 1% of Anything, which they just rebooted this year. Um, it is not my show for a number of reasons, but the biggest reason being that I was watching this in 2007 on uh, ripped sites because you weren't getting stuff like this and as easily as you could now. So I, I didn't get to finish it uh, because it just wasn't all available during that time on the sites that I was watching it on. Also, my computer got a lot of viruses. <laughs> is, it a, is it a romance? It is a romance. Um, is that a first, is this their first mention of a Korean drama? Yeah, so hi kids, welcome. It is the era we are going in uh, for the next few years. You're gonna sense, there's gonna be a theme of um, you will not be understanding the clips for my part. Jess, Jess loves those Koreans. I like, Korean media. It's really good. It it satisfies the storyteller in me because for the most part, shows, which we'll talk about uh, next year, spoil alert, uh, have one season of between 16 and 20 episodes and they don't do anything else. So every storyline is wrapped up and there's no unnecessary stuff because you want to make more money by dragging this out 10 seasons. And I love that. It's like reading a book everything has a, a a reason that it's happening unless it's a comedic one in which case sometimes there's just stupid like strings for no reason so um that is all like i didn't really watch new tv this year i was watching anime i was watching anime reruns guys that's what i was doing so look forward to plenty of korean shows 
moving forward. You don't have to look forward to it. Look, I'm going to apologize right now for next year. Uh, I'm sorry. Three months from now, kids, it's not going to be great. So that is the end of our show. Uh, we'll go out with some plugs so you can follow the show on Instagram and on Twitter at Medium Aid Show, where we'll have those polls. You can help settle the score. We'll post some clips and art, maybe. Who knows? Who knows? With these shows, who knows? You can do some favors. You can leave a review on your podcast platform of choice. Give us five stars or whatever else they, they do out there. Uh, comment. Go on Twitter. Tell us what your shows and movies and music of 2003 are as we move into a new year. We like seeing that. You know, we do. You know, so we get a we get we get we get a you know at least one listener out there telling us what their media was each year. You do the same. Tell us what was your what was your media of 2003. As for me, you can follow me personally on Twitter at Rod the Master. I write for a video game website called Zelda Dungeon.net. Um, I'm actually the boss there now. <laughs> it's the, the writing team. I'm the I'm the I'm the guy I'm in charge. charge. Yeah. So if you're if you're playing Tears of the Kingdom and you want to talk about it with Zelda fans, go to ZeldaDungeon.net. I host a wrestling YouTube show called Keep Kayfabe. That's K-A-Y-F-A-B-E. I've got a new episode in the works. I gotta edit it <laughs> at some point about uh, NWO Sting from WCW World Championship Wrestling. So if that sounds interesting, check that out. If you're looking for me, I am on YouTube, but I'm also not on YouTube because I don't post anything. But if you want to see stuff that I have posted in the year past, Taming Tales on YouTube. And that is the only way you will find me. And uh, we're going to close out this episode with like the one piece of pop music that's in Dead Like Me. Mm -hmm. They play it like three times. Yeah, it's good though. It's a song called Hell. It was appropriate. By Squirrel Nut Zippers, they were they were a a, a big name in the '90s swing revival. You remember that? <laughs> yeah. No. no. <laughs> it came out of the ska. So like ska was big in the mid '90s, obviously. You know, mm -hmm. uh, and then ska punk became a thing. But like a, an offshoot of that ska scene was the swing revival. Yeah. Whereas a bunch of dudes like. You know, getting their brass instruments out and trying to like bring back the swing of the ninety the or of the thirties and forties. Yeah. So, uh, the squirrel nut zippers—they've got a nineties name, but they've got a thirties sound. sound? <laughs> <laughs> no, they, it sounds like freaking mighty mighty boss tones, honestly. To me. Okay. But anyway, it's a, it's a decent song. We're gonna close out with that, and uh, we'll be back next time with our movies two thousand four.